0: Podcast Network listeners, welcome back inside the Wrestling Warzone or of Night Wars podcast retrospective series. I am JT, and joining me as ever is my partner, Chad. Chad, how are you?
1: Doing good. Covering from the Thanksgiving break.
0: Always oh, like mm-hmm. a fun week. I know it's one of your favorite weeks. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because this year, I, I did pretty well on Thanksgiving. I really worked hard not to stuff myself. <laughs> did okay. Uh, we even played a little football with the kids in the yard. So I felt like, you know, I was a little active and didn't go crazy. And then Friday, Saturday was just like a shit show. So it's like completely uh, discouraged. i trying to get back in the swing of things. It's a tough time of year to, to focus on uh, healthy habits. So it's, it's, I feel like every other day it's something different going on.
1: My uh, gastro was not ready
0: for Thursday.
1: The uh, hodgepodge of food that was crammed in did not sit well. Uh, and then Friday, we went to Pigeon Forge. Um, mm-hmm. Went to Dollywood, which uh, new, new, uh, hot off the presses, breaking news development. Uh, your boy is all in on Dollywood.
0: I'm, uh, I'm now, tart- are they only open nine to five?
1: Uh, they are only open for less hours. Uh, I'm turning on Disney. You're done. Uh, it's it's just it's crazy, man. When you think about it. I, when you start looking at like the uh, the money proposition, mm-hmm. so so like at Dollywood, we went uh, this weekend. We only had two day passes, but I ended up upgrading to season passes for me and the boys. And for all three of our season passes, it was about half of what one season pass is at Disney, if they even offer them again. Right. So it's it's tough man and i mean as far as the theme i mean is any theme park there i don't know i mean i would say like crowd flow wise magic kingdom right now is in trouble so i actually do think dollywood's probably a better park in of itself than magic kingdom and maybe hollywood studios but um but uh you know when you start looking at it from a cost proposition it's 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 good i mean it's a really good part. i hadn't been in a while and i think they do a good job i, I was i was kind of interested in how they integrated it because i knew they'd gotten a lot of new roller coasters and stuff in it'd been probably 15 years since i went um so i was interested to see how they integrated that stuff because dollywood growing up was always the part that i just kind of went and watched a lot of shows and rode the train and then left Right, and I think they do a good job of integrating thrill rides in uh, while still retaining the charm of the park and of itself. So it's it's, I mean, and you know, it's no surprise some of the people that were in Walt Disney Imagineering (WDI)
0: that have left
1: over the years have went to Dollywood, and you can see that too. So,
0: so how like size wise, what's to compare it compare to? Oh,
1: uh, uh, well, it's it's you know, you're kind of in the mountains. So, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's like a hundred acres overall. Um, Mm -hmm. now some of that's mountains, but it's, it's a, I mean, it's a legit park, like, and they're expanding too. Next year they're building a new coaster. Um, they just built a kind of family friendly area that had a, a family coaster ride and a couple other, uh, fun rides for like five through eight. You know, like the the um, the ship that goes up and down, that kind of classic carnival type dragon ship that will go up and go back. That was in there, and the spinny ride. I mean, it was um, there was a lot to do. I I thought they did a good job. If on, no matter what your thrill level was, you had options. I rode Thunderhead, which is their wooden coaster at night. Uh, which goes about 55 miles per hour and it was terrifying like you could not see anything and it whips around and kind of folds in on itself it was a wild ride it was pretty fun um but all like i said terrifying (laughs) as well so is dolly there on site at all no she so she uh she's there you know very sporadically i mean because right. she i mean dolly's celebrity celebrity status up there um so the very opening day she'll be there of any given season um which now as a pass holder i'll get invited to next year so i might do that actually <laughs> yeah uh and then like i think once they open that new ride whenever that opening day is they say right now they just say next spring but usually like when they open a new ride or a new part of the park she'll be there to kind of dedicate that and then every once in a while she'll make an appearance like at christmas and stuff i mean the christmas decorations too are incredible there it said they they said they had over 6 million lights and I mean, it had to be close to that. Like every building is lined with lights. It it was beautiful. It, it was great. I'm planning on going back solo in a couple of weeks in December. So
0: how long of a ride is it?
1: Uh, for me, it's about four hours. So not it's far it's, far. it's yeah, it's not bad. Between four and four and a half. So
0: it's it's, it's like uh, me driving down to a Lodi Street in East Rutherford.
1: <laughs> you're correct. It's uh, it's 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 not bad. I mean, I actually like to drive to Disney. It's all interstate, but it's seven hours from where I'm at. So,
0: right. this is almost half of that too. So, well, it sounds like a no brainer. I mean, it's easily, dri- easily drivable, you know, affordable pass. So even if you still go to Disney now and then, but you get this in your back pocket to go a few times. Yeah, minute, so. yeah,
1: I was very impressed because I mean, you know, we have a Six Flags in Atlanta, Six Flags over Georgia. Yeah, and and I'd kind of been jaded on it because. Just from a theme park and <clears throat> thematic standpoint, it's it's always been lacking. Like they've kind of just built stuff to build stuff. Uh there's not much rhyme or reason throughout the park. And so I'd always kind of been in eh on it as well. Right. Uh so I was kinda thinking Dollywood might have went the way of that, but it hasn't. So
0: yep. yeah. Yeah, I'm not fan. the biggest Six Flags fan. I haven't been to the one up here in a while though. Um so maybe I'm due for for a revisit. It's been a bit. We did go to Canterbury Lake Park a couple of years ago. That's kind of more like a junior park. Um, that's good for kids, but yeah, Six Flags has uh, been a minute. I have to is, usually, because she's she's super into rides. Like for my son, it's gonna be less so. But so like Six Flags, I think she would be way more into it because she she loves like all rides now. Is it what Great America? Is that the closest one to you? Or yeah, is that the one in Springfield? I don't know the name of it. Uh, there's one in New Jersey. That's no, no, a, that's it's the one in okay. Springfield, Mass, or Agu- oh, okay. I think it's the one. I think it's at Agawam. Okay, got you. It's uh, Six Flags New England, Springfield.
1: Ah, uh, another one in New Jersey. Because <laughs> once I rode that wooden coaster Thunderhead, I went down a rabbit hole. Of like best wooden coasters on YouTube and all this and like blend the little itinerary, and the uh the Six Flags in New Jersey has like El Toro that they said you know, it was most of the time in the top three or five on the YouTube videos that I watched on the best wooden coasters in the world. so that seemed cool.
0: Well, you know, even pass passes here on bat it's like sixty bucks. I know Atherton um has one there. uh who was someone was telling me recently, like, people that live in that area would invest in season passes instead of any kind of, like, other daycare service. And, like, for kids, if they had kids that were, like, teenagers or whatever, for the summer, they would just drop them in the morning and then pick them up at night, like, multiple times a week. And it was worth it for the 60 bucks, like, just to keep them busy during the day in the summer, just go drop them mm. there. and It was paid for. But um, I've never been in the New Jersey one. This one is probably about an hour 40 from us. Uh, okay. yeah. So, but I—I I don't know the last time I've been. I would say it's been at least, <clears throat> honestly, it might be almost like 20 years since I've been there.
1: Well, if they ever do, if they do mania in Nashville, like what may be rumored, it's not the closest drive, but it might not be—you know—might not be the worst thing to hop over to pick up
0: boards for a day or two. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, Mark it down for (laughs) 2028, wherever they're going. Uh, All right. Well, let's let's head back to 1996. We'll focus on that. We are one night removed from Survivor Series. Uh, We're covering the week that was, November 18th, 1996. We're going to kick things off with Raw, as we should do, the night after pay-per-view. And we are in New Haven, Connecticut. So uh, I don't know if Mr. Criscolo was in attendance or not, but this is home arena here in New Haven. And we start hot as Stone Cold Steve Austin marches to the ring. We get Vince McMahon, Jim Ross, and Jerry the King Waller welcoming us in, telling us that Vader is out of tonight's Top Man match. He'll no longer be facing Austin, uh, but in his place will be mankind. We get clips of Vader injuring his shoulder, doing Yokozuna's belly-to-belly last night. JR says he'll be back soon, but he wasn't able to wrestle here the next night. So, you know, this whole Vader thing has been a little bit weird, like... I guess he wasn't injured before they decided to go with Sid. So the it's time thing still is questionable and it still lends credence to the JJ Dillon story that he jumped and (laughs) told uh, told the info or that it soured on Vader. But I do know he's injured, but I guess it just, it happened after that. So that doesn't really play into the whole swap.
1: Yeah. I, I think the thing with Vader, I think it's interesting to look at Vader uh, in the confines of who's actually in this match, right? Because if you had to guess who would be the MVPs of WWL coming in, especially around like January and then when Mankind debuted, mm-hmm. I mean, I would think like Vader would be someone you blue chill, you know, think he'd right. be right there, and he hasn't. Uh, I think obviously like Austin and Mankind to me have been the two MVPs of the promotion overall um you know sean and ring but we talked about his character work so i I, it's it's just kind of funny that you know vader again is someone that i think's an all-time great and he's had his moments in 96 but it just like character wise and build wise like they never and i don't know if it's just like him having these inopportune moments of weakness or the booking we talked about i mean i don't think that gate did him any favors at first where he was like the cowardly bully um it's just kind of a combo of both of those and heading out of 96 like he's way low on the total pole i would say like yeah I mean, as of right now, executioner's getting a better push than him. I mean, that that'll probably change, but you know, he's below tons of guys now. Like he's dead. done nothing
0: since. I mean, honest, since SummerSlam. Yeah. Yeah, the one match with Sid, and he beat Sean on that random Raw. <laughs> like everyone's right, beating Sean right. in September. So yeah, he, I mean, he's really had four months of just lost lost in the woods so we'll see if they reboot a little bit here for him heading into 97 but right now it definitely feels like then now he's hurt again so it's like all right <laughs> now it is it, at least this is a match to look forward to maybe him and austin throwing bombs but mm-hmm. he's right the sideline.
1: yeah like he's below sean brett sid taker mankind austin i would argue farouk Goldust uh, still, probably. Uh yeah, I mean it's close. Like he's mm-hmm. lateral with like Goldust and even like Hunter now. So, I'd put
0: Hunter above him since the perfect turn in the in the win. Yeah. It's it's a
1: it's a real interesting case of what's happened to him and his kind of de improvization uh the point of emphasis throughout
0: the card with Vader. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be something to follow over the next couple months here. Uh, I mean, you can uh, assume he won't be playing much of a role at its time because uh, name thing aside, if he's hurt, too hurt to wrestle on this taping, then we know we're not going to see him on four weeks of raw. Right. So like, so he's out. So they're probably not going to give him anything at at, at its time unless they throw together a last second match and just throw him in it. But um, so we're probably looking at another pay-per-view without him. And I guess the next time we may see him is the taping after. And again, it's the downside of this four week taping cycle. Right. Like. If you miss the the night because you're hurt, it's probably five weeks before we see you again. So, yeah. Right. And same with superstars. I mean, superstars, I think, is still on a similar taping schedule as well. So, again, if you're injured those couple nights after a pay-per-view, you're persona non grata on TV unless they keep you involved with doing, like, interviews or promos or something. But for the most part, you're going to be out of it. So we'll probably see Vader in a month, I guess. (laughs) We'll follow. But (laughs) he's gone. Austin and Mankind are here, though. Mankind attacks Austin in the aisle. We're off to a hot start. Austin pops up. They have a slugfest at ringside. They go back down toward the entrance, hammering and clawing at each other. A bunch of officials and agents come out, trying to break things up, but Austin hits a running clothesline to reignite things. Mankind shoots Austin hard to the steps. Officials are still trying to get some kind of order. The brawl rolls on. Mankind hits a running knee into the steps, so we finally get in the ring. The bell sounds. We are on. Austin slugs and stomps away with a great flurry. Mankind pulls Austin outside and spikes him to the steps and slugs away. Back inside, Mankind kicks it as Vince says they hope Shawn Michaels will join us tonight after bringing Jose Lothario back to Texas this morning. Austin turns the tide, hammers away Mankind with heavy fists, knocking him back outside. Mankind grabs a chair, but Austin kicks him down before he can use it. Mankind clobbers Austin from behind, but Austin reverses a whip, sends Mankind over the railing into the crowd. Back in the ring, Mankind ducks the clothesline, he hooks the mandible claw, but Austin kicks him in the balls, breaks the hold. After a break, Mankind puts Austin on the top rope, Austin shoves him off. Austin comes off with a double axe, but Mankind drills him in the gut, gets back to his clawing offense. They battle over a suplex on the apron. Mankind wins that battle and brings Austin back into the ring. Vince reveals that Bret Hart will take on his brother Owen Hart next week. It's his first match on Raw since March. Mankind drops a hard leg, but Austin comes back with a sleeper, then a big boot. Mankind cuts him down the clothesline. Austin blocks a pile driver. He dumps Mankind to the apron, but Mankind snaps his neck across the top rope. Mankind goes up top, but Austin catches him with a flurry of punches, yanks him hard to the mat, stomps and chokes. JR says the ref has been told to let this go. It's a tough man contest. Austin knocks Mankind outside. Mankind throws him into the steps and chokes at him. Austin hotshots Mankind in the railing. We head back inside. Austin snapmares Mankind down, hits a middle rope elbow for two. Austin barrels into Mankind and knocks him to the floor. Paul Bearer is gone, and he comes back out with the Executioner, who gets in the ring and hits Austin for the weak disqualification. Executioner, Mankind, double-team Austin, so Undertaker comes out to make the save. Austin then knocks Taker over the top of the clothesline. Taker's not happy, gets back in the ring, but Austin takes off. Uh, so all in all, I thought this was a pretty fun brawl. Uh, it had a new energy and style we haven't got a lot of. Good positioning, starting a live show with a hot brawl between two guys that are, you know, two of the top guys, like you just mentioned. You can tell they're trying to twist the house style a little bit too into more of a hard-hitting athletic matches less of the kind of the slower pace we've seen a lot of throughout 95 and 96 this is a good way to set that tone it was well done i think the ending was weak but i mean obviously you're not gonna have austin or mankind lose two two nights in a row at this point uh it's this executioner so soft like i just would have had taker come out instead of executioner and just like he's so pissed at mankind for attacking him the next the night before just come out and attack mankind on the floor and then austin gets mad and knocks him out or something i think that would have been fine Uh, so i went three and a quarter i thought it was a a fun start to raw i'd like them to do more of these if they could and emphasize more of that brawling style hard-hitting style you know abcw a bit maybe in their approach to be different than wcw and different than they've been in the past
1: yeah like, I had uh, kind of been clamoring for a good Raw match, and I think this is it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought this was the best Raw match we've had in quite a while. Yeah. I ended up going three and a half. Uh, it's always a match I'd like, uh, but I, I just thought it was a good kind of template of a different style uh, match from what we're used to on Raw. It didn't follow the same formula. Even going into the first commercial break, like, it was out of control, very brawly feeling. I, I, I thought it was a good way of uh, kind of synergy with Austin's new character within the confines of a match. Like, the rules are a little relaxed, but... Uh, you know, it's still a wrestling match. You know, it's just a more brawling style. I, I think there's some nods of ECW in here uh, with the way they were working. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just overall, I mean, besides the finish, which the finish was what it was, I, I definitely didn't think you were going to get a clean finish. I can understand how that could be a disappointment. But for a Raw... I mean, it's been... I don't even know. I mean, I don't know if I've given a match three and a half overall. Um, and it's probably, like, honestly, a 3.25, but I wanted to give it an extra push <laughs> right. uh, just because, like I said, I don't think... Like, I gave uh, Bret Hart versus John pierre Lafitte over a year ago on the ten two ninety five Raw 3.25. Um, after that, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's happened in a long time. So I don't, it may not have happened
0: this year. So, so I thought. This was great and Janetti, July 1st, you gave it three and a half.
1: There we go. So, I mean, this is the best match that they've had on TV in five months. So right. it, it was very fun. Very fun. I would say it's one of the best TV matches we've had. I, I, I would guess to say overall it's a top you know probably three to five tv match of the year yeah
0: yeah i'd agree with that it was a lot of fun um it was a good way i like that they started the live taping with it like that that added the atmosphere and the vibe i think if you get this in week three it's still probably good but maybe not as energetic you know yeah that was probably a smart decision for sure and i'm i (coughs) excuse me i think we got just as, as good as we would have with vader
1: Yeah, I mean, like, Austin versus Vader is a weird matchup that sounds great on paper, but, I mean, Austin versus Foley, too, Mm -hmm. like, they were around in WCW, obviously, a lot and just didn't have much interaction, except actually when, like, uh, Cactus Jack kind of was a quasi bounty hunter for the Dangerous Alliance in some ways. In early '92, right. they team up, so it's it's a cool pairing.
0: Well, it won't be the last uh, for sure for them. So, will <laughs> no. see. All right, we get clips of Austin taking out Undertaker as executioner. Just watched and walked away, which is odd. Uh, we then see Ahmed Johnson walking down out of the crowd to a pop. Sonny heads down to the ring to Vince and King's excitement. Jerry calls King Uncle Jerry. And he reminds JR of the kisses that he got last night from Sonny. Brings us to our next match, which is, uh, I think it's a rematch. I think we've seen this one before. It's uh, Farouk <laughs> taking on Savio Vega. Sonny gives a big introduction to Farouk in the Nation of Domination. Farouk is carrying a 2x4. Clarence Mason uh, is with him. He's led out by PG-13, who are rapping. Just already a, a really cool entrance and game changer for them. We get the acclaimed slam of the week, uh, which is Rocky Maivia's debut offense and his big win last night. Ahmed is sitting up in a second bank of seats as Vega's arrived. We get underway with some heavy Farouk strikes. Vince says Jose is resting at home, and Sean is trying to make it back to New Haven in time for the show. So he flew from MSG, got Jose settled in at home, and he's trying to fly back here to New Haven. So busy day for Sean. Vega comes back with some right hands, gets a monkey flip. King is flirting with Sonny. Sonny's pumping up Farouk. Farouk takes over with strikes. Savio gets a cross body block for two, then a slam for two. Savio works the arm, gets caught in a leap, and fruit buries him with a spine buster. cameras away as Vince says Ahmed's ruptured kidney is finally just about healed. Fruit gives the nation domination salute to Ahmed, and then it's a suplex or two. After a break, Fruit is in a seated chin lock. Sonny invites King to come to her house to watch the Cowboys beat the Packers after the show. Sonny plays coy about her relationship with Fruit. Fruit tries to sit down Splash. But he lands on Savio's knees. Vince totally missed what happened. He plays it up as if Farouk hit a lethal move, even though Farouk hurt. <laughs> uh, I think he's distracted by King getting the invite to Sonny's house here. Uh, Vega eats knees on a splash. Farouk goes in on the back, but he drops his head. Savio spikes him to the mat. Vega loads a flurry. Farouk slams him and heads up top. Vega crotches him, heads up as well, tries a superplex. But they slip and fall hard all the way to the floor, which looks like they get hurt. Vince kind of puts this over as another tough man type stuff. Back inside, Vega kicks Farouk as he dips his head. Hits a spin heel kick, but Farouk ducks a charge. Vega flies to the floor. PG-13 attack. They hit him with the 2x4 and throw him inside, and Farouk covers for the win. Ahmed Johnson charges to ringside. He sends JCI flying with a slam, and it clears out the ring to a pop. Ahmed grabs a mic, vows revenge, and starts a, you're going down, champ, which is very infamous. Uh, the match itself was what you would expect, mainly plotting with a couple of highlights, the usual Savio stuff. Farouk is just way too much stick in there. Uh, this should be in a better burial, a brutal dominant squash. Like, two nights in, the nation presentation is great, but we haven't seen Farouk reestablish as a menace in the ring. Like, he needed PG-13 to beat Savio. He Savio got a bunch of offense. Like, if you don't want to kill Savio, just put Freddie Joe Floyd in here or whoever and let Farouk just wreck him in like five minutes alone instead of already str- scuffling in another boring match with Savio. So I didn't quite get the presentation here. I mean, if they want to book it like he needs the nation to back him up, like fine, I guess. But I think this way ways, I mean, the way he's talking, he's a badass. He's not a chicken shit. So why we, why we need, you know, these two scrawny white guys to do his bidding. I'm not sure. Uh, so anyway, I like the, I like the overall presentation of this gimmick, but in ring we have we haven't seen a change in two nights. So I want to start in three quarters. I found the match to be pretty boring until the finish
1: yeah star and a half i agree
0: wholeheartedly with what you're saying uh that's
1: the the main issue i have is baruch with the entrance and the, the look is there like it's awesome the entrance rules his his color scheme looks great with his new gear and whatnot mm-hmm. and just the way he presents himself stature wise it works uh, and then the bell rings, and yeah, he's he's working underneath and doing chin locks and relying way too much on PG-13 to help him out, and it, it gets very muddled. Uh, I, you know, my Savio hates been documented, but mm-hmm. I, I, I thought he was really rough here. Like, most of what he did was awkward. I mean, Simmons, Farouk's never the most smoothest worker in the world but him and savio just to me do not work as a pairing and it's not one of those like well it's ugly it's so ugly it's good because it looks like a real fight either um that that botch from the top rope looked really scary and the match itself just felt very clunky and disorganized And even some of the other aspects of it, like Ahmed in the crowd, I I don't know, I I guess he probably didn't know when the camera was shot on him, but a lot of times when they panned to him in the crowd, he looked, like, very nonchalant, and I think for someone that's, like, wanting to exact revenge, like, quasi, you know, basically, like, sitting there eating popcorn, like, smiling and waving like he's at a parade, it was a,
0: a weird demeanor on some of that well they should have had a more like yeah i mean they should have had him maybe sitting maybe not sitting but like maybe more like held back by security or like yeah he's there and there's like a wall of security around him so he can't yeah. break free you know versus him uh just standing freely on his own like that yeah that goes against everything we've seen
1: he's just, he's just like sitting there taking the match in till the very end it's it's weird uh, only other note I had is I, I do think Sunny as a broadcaster has grown a lot. Like I've enjoyed her the past I you know, is as, as long as that match was that she commented on Survivor series. Um I, I feel like she fits well with the booth and yeah. works well with Ross now being more of the straight man too. Um it's it's a good kinda counteraction to you got horny king you got vince kind of you know doing his thing and ross and Sonny can play off each other as well uh so four four feels like a crowded announce booth but it works Mm -hmm.
0: yeah i wonder if i mean because they definitely seem lost with her overall like what to do she's not much of a manager anymore she's kind of a personality they're teasing that she may get back into managing um I guess she's almost just like a jack of all trades at this point, but I, I think talking is like her specialty more than anything. So I, I would try and find a room in the booth for her, like especially with Perfect gone too. Like put her on Superstars or put her here, maybe transition Jr. off and just have him do like one match a week, like the main event, and she does the rest of the show or something like that. You know, I think it would keep her front and center, and she's really good at it. Like that's. That's her strength, is her ability to talk. She knows wrestling. Like that's if you're not gonna have her be a valet, like I think it's the next best use for her.
1: Yeah, I I almost think you could have done I mean, Vince and King is what it is, but you could've done Vince and King as one announced pairing and then had Ross and Sonny as the other one. Um Right. I, I, I think that would've worked as well. Yeah. So I yeah. mean at this point Vince probably just could have went away. I mean, I think you could have done Even if you'd have done like King and uh, Ross now that on one and Kevin Kelly and Sonny on Superstars like that, yeah, could have done that. Yep.
0: I mean, we saw that Ross flying without Vince. You know, we liked the Kevin King Jr. combo. Yeah,
1: yeah, and that was when Ross
0: was at his most annoying. You know. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, I feel like Vince. When the chips are down, like he's getting pushed by Nitro here, I think he wants to be in control. So I think yeah. wants to be out there to control the narrative. But right, I mean, he could even just done night one when it's live, you know, and then produce the rest. So they could have done that, like Vince does once a month or something, and then Kevin takes over. Mm-hmm. All right. Karate fighters holiday tournament time. Todd Pegell the King have our first final first round match. It's sunny taking on Bob Backlund. We get words from Backlund in his sunglasses, and then the match itself. Bob tries to cheat. Sunny wins, and then taunts Backlund. He barks at her about cabooing him. So there you go. Uh, we have now our final four set for the Karate Fighters tournament. Uh, Raw is brought to you by Foot Action, Snickers, and Starburst tonight. We then head to Jim Ross. He's chatting with Sid as he's working out with dumbbells. We get a recap and stills of Sid's attack on Lothario and the defeating Shawn Michaels to win the world title. Vince waxes poetic about Shawn's title reign and how he chose to to help Lothario over defending his title last night. I actually like this segment quite a bit. It's not something we usually get on Raw. It was just like, a conversation by the announcers at the table talking about a match and a wrestler like it was analysis that we don't generally get in this setting is it, it was shot differently too that it's kind of we're there sitting with vince and he's just kind of talk about it like you know sean did this and that and you know he had a great rain and this is why it ended and i don't know it just felt like um like a post game report or something i, I kind of like it that was different
1: it sort of definitely felt like they were trying to kind of help sean save face to right. degree.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah, they're trying to. Yes, they're definitely trying to cover for what happened and, and say, like, you know, he sacrificed himself in, in his world title when he could have won the match because Jose was taken out. So that's All definitely right. the approach they're taking. All right, let's uh, continue on. We go back to the ring as Doug Furness and Phil Lafon are here to take on Leaf Cassidy and Bob Holly. I think we haven't seen Holly in forever. Um, on Raw at least. Cassidy Holly and Lou Albano come out. Weird group could yeah. put together. <laughs> like, Albano's not with them, but he walked out with them, which is weird. Um, and they
1: and they really don't explain like why I mean we know that Marty got hurt. Right. So I'm sure it's supposed to be them, but like I don't know, can we think of anybody that would have been better to kinda like it it was a very
0: weird makeshift. Uh, Team. Or oh. well, like you said, just say it. You know what I mean? Like, just say, "Hey, Jannetty was was contracted here. His knees worse than we thought after last night, and Bob Holly was asked to step in, and he disagreed for the payday I mean, whatever. <laughs> you know, like it would take like, two seconds Paul, to uh, explain it.
1: Holly worked as kind of a face the week before versus Austin. Right. Right.
0: Yeah, so. I, it almost presents as like it's not even a heel team. It's like jobbers, right? Like you know, so it's not really a. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It, I mean,
1: you know, I guess a decent team to put together, but just
0: very random, right? Probably better than. I, I mean, that.
1: I yeah. I mean, I guess there's just no fodder.
0: I but, mean, you could have put Freddie Joe. I guess. Mean, I mean, yeah.
1: Freddy Hopper, Joe's like the uh, the uh, the name,
0: Joe Hopper, the Pug. I mean, I guess the I think the you could
1: have done like Freddie Joe and the Pug, probably. Right. I mean, I, I think they wanted somebody to take some of uh, Furnace and Lafond's offense, and they trusted Leaf to do that, yeah. as we see with the finish and whatnot. But I, I think you could have done that with probably the Pug or somebody else. You yeah, could have brought out
0: Brooklyn Brawler, you know. Oh <laughs> boy well albano's with him for a minute then he goes to the uh, spanish announce table again uh first LaFon come out they uh lafon and cassie start off with some feeling out matt work lafon works the arm they trade some strikes and counters ending with lafon kicking leaf to the floor holly tags in and grabs the arm but lafon twists free and tags furnace we get an inset promo from owen hart british bulldog and clarence mason they say they were impressed but last night they let their guard down and it will not happen again Owen is not happy about what happened. He says they only care about tag matches anyway. They'll put their belts up at any time. Holly and Furnace work through some holes as well, and then both tag out. Lafon gets two on a leg lariat, then buries a Savat kick for two. Leaf kicks him down and tags Holly as we go to break. When we return, Leaf is still in control, tags Holly back in. He gets a drop kick for two. Holly slams Lafon, but misses its middle rope elbow. Furnace gets a tag, he gets a drop kick in Frankensteiner, but Leaf saves. Leaf tags in and walks right into a clothesline. LaFon tags in but walks into a nice leaf full enough from German for two. LaFon murders Snow with a head and arm German. Just looking yeah. ugly. Uh slow moving. Uh just not what we needed. And and that's the finish. Uh slow moving, just not what we needed on a live show. It slowed the crowd down, especially after the last match. Like again, I am not advocating all squashes, but this should have been like a power squash. Like, come in, chuck these guys with suplexes, break them in half, and end it. Not like kind of selling Holly getting some all fans. Like again, we just don't need these 50-50 matches with these guys. I don't know why they're doing it. They feel like because the Nitro has competitive matches, they need to. But when you're trying to get these guys over, it's just not what we need. And that's why you have guys like Holly, like Freddie Joe, you know, like even Sabio at this point. That's why we got these guys is to be names, but really put over the stars, not go 50-50 with them back and forth. Especially new guys are trying to get over. Um, I mean, that's a leaf look good. You could try, try, you could tell he's trying to stand out like on his own. He's got a chance now, With in any art might actually be a benefit to him. He could try and do something, but um, too much for him here. The finish was good, but the match to me was just too slow. So I went two stars uh, outside of a nasty finish. Not much else to get excited about. Where's the Sultan, man? Yeah, he's been in too. Like they give him that huge
1: initial push. Like how was he not in Survivor Series? Yeah, I I think he was. Any in the was he in the free for all match? Oh, he may be in the free. I think he was in the guns. guns Okay, that makes sense because it feels like we had him for a couple weeks and then yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I I went two stars as well in this. It's it was okay. Uh, I thought the finish was absolutely brutal from the Cobra clutch, but uh, besides that. I, I don't know. I mean, the crowd was very dead. You, I was going to ask you, like, as far, I mean, we're only two nights in, but I don't remember them getting a great reaction. So with Furnace and LaFond, do you think it's just, like, a personality thing? Why they didn't connect? or I mean, they, they really feel like WCW guys stuck in WWE with the way they're working, to me.
0: Yeah, it's it's a tough fit. I think the personality thing is part of it. Um, because it's not like Dof works a crazy style and they're against like, like they are a little bit slow and more grinding. Um, they just haven't given us a reason, really. Like, why to care about them. I know we make fun of the vignettes and the characters, but like, we're not really getting it. Like, they just showed up. They just said their names, then they just showed up. Like, kind of did different mat holes a couple suplexes like that's what we've seen we haven't gotten any reason to care about them i think they were miscast in the beginning i think they should have been heels their best stuff even in ecw was kind of like his dicks a little bit um mm-hmm. so i think they would have been better here with a manager i i mean i, I like why not have them be heel? like owen and bulldog are kind of tweeners in a way right it's kind of weird so they're, they're kind of tweeners owen is kind of like a heel bulldogs kind of in between so they can kind of go both ways they were basically faces in the guns feud why not have cornet bring in furnace in the fun like it's a perfect fit for him right like two yeah. guys cornet wants revenge for clarence mason stealing his guys and his belts then he can talk for them and maybe at least get them established and maybe they dump them eventually but at least out of the gate like he can he he's so good at level setting what they're about you know or Instead of stupid Razor and Diesel, like, you could have Jr. with them. Like, if you're still pushing him as a guy, as an agent, to talk on their behalf, like, you could do that, too. Like, hey, I'm bringing in more young talent, or maybe not young, but more hard-hitting talent from overseas that's going to come in here and wreck shop, right? Like, so give them someone who can get over what they're about. Yeah, it's
1: just, I I, I like portions of it, but I just... I don't know. It ain't came together for sure. I'm, I'm still also not crazy about Clarence Mason. I, I don't know when that's going to change, but I found right. him annoying. Uh, yeah. Just as the mouthpiece helping Bulldog and no along. Yeah,
0: I, I don't... I mean, did Cornette just want to get faded from... Yeah, yeah, he...
1: I mean, he's somebody that was around all the time on screen, too, and we go weeks gone. without seeing him. It's... it's, it's You can definitely see the winds of change. I mean, we talked about it, but I thought this show, again, highlighted. Like, there's a lot of, you know, no Diesel Razor, no Sultan, no Cornette, uh, Vader's hurt, so he'll be gone. So a lot of these guys that from SummerSlam to Mm -hmm. now kind of had a chance and were given opportunities, there was no mention of them here.
0: Yeah, it's weird. And and as Iconette like leaves, I mean, he's with the WWEF for when? Like, until the mid-2000s, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> like he's I there mean, forever. So, yeah. I don't know if he just wanted a break to work, focus more on creative. I know he was helping book during this time. Um, I don't—I really just wanted him off TV. He'd been on so much over the last four years. I mean, really, since he debuted in 93, he's been constant. Mm-hmm. But— I don't know why they took him with, off of Bulldog and Owen. I think he could have just stayed with them or done something like we just talked about. Like, have him bring out Furtis on the Fawn for revenge and and then go from there. Uh, Sultan wasn't that free-for-all match. He eliminated Aldo but got pinned by Jesse James. Oh, God. So, He's yeah.
1: I, I don't I don't know when Real Double J's album's going to come out, but it's also <laughs> been a couple of weeks since we heard anything from him, too.
0: going to be a minute. Yeah uh sid heads to the ring to a big pop he's feeling himself as world champion during the break we get a shilling from doc Hendricks of a plaque with a picture of sid comes with a slice of the ring rope from msg 59 dollars for eight dollars shipping and handling vince plugs in your house coming december 15th from west palm beach jr's in the ring he hypes up sid talks of the big controversial title victory and the fans at msg cheering him ross said uh, many have said this. sid was too unstable but here he is he's done it Sid has no words for Sean or Jose, or Jose. He has respect for Jose, but he got himself involved and became part of the game, and that misery came with it. Ross asked about a rematch for Sean, and Sid says if he wants one, he has it, and he'll just beat him again, because he's the man, the master, and the ruler of the world. Jarr then names a bunch of stars who are lining up for shots. Sid says, first, he has to face Bret Hart. It in your house, JR says, will you be a fighting champion? Sid said his plan is to retire, or, or he was going to retire, but the people called him back, and now he's world champion, and he's done it for them. And Because of that, he'll be a fighting champion. I think this is a pretty good use of JR. Uh, I think he does a, an overall good job here. Uh, Sid says Brett is trying to make a reputation by going through him, but Brett's comeback is going to end on December 15th. He calls him Brett man by accident. Uh says he'll be standing <laughs> tall that night as well as a good promo kind of mixed in his, his best of hits had the intensity had the slip-ups but it's believable uh no michaelson i guess the plane didn't arrive in time back to new haven so we don't see him but I, again this is fine it's like kind of a state of the union from a new champion and this to me is a much more preferable use of ross than being a acerbic dick in the booth so like yep. you know, the, the investigative reporter and, you know, we talked about the commentary options like didn't just put Sonny with King and Vince. Get she kind of flirts with King kind of bickers with Vince. Let Jr. just be like the roving investigator like Mean Gene. I mean, Gene wasn't an announcer, but he was all over the fucking show constantly. Like, why can't Ross just do that? Like, give the reports, show the hotline, do interviews like there's no reason he can't be that guy for them at this point until they're ready to transition off of Vince.
1: Yeah. And you could obviously bring him in for like an important match like austin versus brett like they do with today too and he could be like you know the expert analyst or something for like a big match that you wanted to call um as a as a promo i thought this was fine i mean nothing extraordinary i i I guess sid was probably gonna say little man but he said brett man which was uh yeah like you said uh, hit man i don't know but uh so, so a little bit of signature Sid stumbling over his words, but he, he remained on the track for the most part in this promo, and it, it didn't really break any new ground, but it was a pretty good introductory promo to your new world champion.
0: All right, so that wraps up RAW. Uh, pretty straightforward show, really, like just, yeah. just a few matches and the promo. So no real big angles coming out of this. We do set up Brett and Owen for next week, which should be fun. Um, so we'll see how that goes. So uh, awards, semi mean, match of the night, obviously Austin Mankind. Yeah. Uh, Moment, Ahmed. I had Ahmed cleaning house on the nation.
1: Yeah, I just did Sid's promo.
0: I don't. I don't think there's, uh, you know, a lot really. Uh, MVPN with Austin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, any commentary notes you have? Before you no,
1: know? nothing
0: beyond what we talked about. Uh, no shots fired. I don't think we had any debuts, and no dropped angles. So that's it. Uh, I went five and a half out of ten. Just kind of a middling show. Not the hot show you'd want coming off like a major pay per view. And also, when you consider the match it opened with, <laughs> Vader. I mean, uh, Austin yeah. Mankind. It's it was disappointing from there on. So definitely. If you were to rate it after that match, or if you were thinking about your grade after that match, you're thinking, oh, this might check in as like a 7. You know what I mean? Like a, a higher-end draw. But it really kind of hit the wall after that match.
1: Yeah, I actually dropped mine down as we talked it through. I'm at a five and a half two. too. I think I was originally at a 6 just based off the, the first match. But they really did kind of limp to the finish after that. I mean the SID promo's fine, but um it, it, it did feel like after that first match that if you were a channel flipper on this night
2: mm-hmm.
1: it would have been pretty easy to kind of put the remote down and focus on Nitro yeah after Austin
0: versus Mankind I think one of the interesting things when you when you think about the structure of these shows, we talked about the structure a bunch, right? Nitro the way it's set up can feature their stars every week. For Raw, it's tougher, right? Because you're taping four hours in a night. So you're not gonna have Sean wrestle every night, every week. It's just you're not gonna have him wrestle four times on the taping. Whereas Nitro, you get your stars wrestling every week because it's new every week. So Luger can be on every single week and you know, whoever else can be on every single Harlem Heat and and Jared and Flair. Like these guys can wrestle every week because it's it's just a new taping. That's another way that this taping cycle kills the dirty F because you're just not gonna have these guys wrestle generally more than twice at most right like you may see a guy twice in a cycle other than that you're probably not going to see them again you're not going to see owen Hart Russell three times in four weeks on so it limits their usage of guys like this rock had been awesome if they come out of the gate with austin mankind and brett versus owen you know what i mean like that's a huge raw right there off the gate
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then but then they're limited because what do you do next week okay well you can't use those guys again but they are starting to have a deeper roster so then next week do Undertaker versus British Bulldog, and all, you know what? Like, there's ways you can beef it up and have guys maybe still wrestle two to three times. But.
1: Yeah, it's also one of those things that I think we talked about, uh, kind of internally with different chats and on the show. Is I, to me that emphasizes how in WCW, it's not necessarily about the main event guys wrestling. You know right. like we hadn't seen the outsiders wrestle on nitro all that much if at all we hadn't seen hogan wrestle on nitro i don't think he's wrestled period right since he's turned hill um on nitro uh so so but they've been showing up every week so it's like the star power is still there It's just we don't need them in the ring whereas on the wwf side it yeah i mean it would be nice to have you know in a in a four-week gap between pay-per-views if we Get two Bret Hart matches, two Shawn Michaels matches, two Steve Austin matches, two Mankind matches, you know, one Undertaker match. Mm-hmm. Like all that would be uh, inviting,
0: right? Yeah, They could just all. If you if you load the shows with all that stuff, you you have the roster. It's just this the setup is what's killing them right now. Because when you get them all on pay per view, you know, a lot of the pay per views are are working. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I mean. Them, the, the, yeah, I mean. For most of our pay per view scores,
0: they've been above average. So. Yeah, so you have they have the roster and the talent. It's just the setup is just limits severely to them. So they got to get out of this. They get it's killing them. They got to get out of the stale cycle. It's, it's well,
1: a- and it's just the guys disappear too. Like it's just yeah. weird. Like you you feel like it's such an aggressive push for some of these guys, and then once they're off. It's, i mean we're really seeing at a time like once the stink's kind of on you like they are, are are dropping quickly which which can be good but you know it's, it's interesting whereas like in this show we had no mention of someone like marrow who's someone that's on that decline um but then someone like Hunter, like Hunter is right now a good glue guy for mm-hmm. the company and, you know, nothing with him either. So there's definitely weeks where it's just like, you know, all these guys that should be doing something, we have no mention of them. Right? So may- maybe maybe Superstars is filling in that gap, but we're, we're not getting it.
0: No, no, we're not. There's a lot we're not getting. <clears throat> um it just feels due to the setup, Raw just feels more missable week to week. Yeah. Like you can miss chunks of it, it, doesn't matter. Whereas Nitro has continuous story development or uh, you know, great match on the show. Like one or the other, usually you're getting just more stuff happens. It's more lively. So the raw I think I think the biggest thing for Dodd right now, they've re- rebuilt the roster. They've with yeah. Brett back and you know, sid with the title kind of other guys chasing sean and mankind's on the come like you have they have the they have the guys uh i think i think a lot of stuff's in place for them i th- I just think this setup is really hindering them i think they need to get out of this setup they need to get away from this stale taping where they have by the fourth week everyone's asleep um and you can't even audible right when stuff happens we still the mess with ahmed uh, where they couldn't they couldn't book their way out of it because they had to wait till the cycle ended <laughs> before they could explain that he was hurt. Uh, I, I just think they need to get away from this. So as quickly as they can get away from this and get into a live format where every week is something fresh, I think they'd be in much better shape overall. So I think we'll you know we'll see when that comes. We know it's coming. We'll just see when it happens. If if it makes the big difference that I think it'll make. All right. Sure. Because uh, we know it's been big for Nitro. I mean, that's we've covered every Nitro to date so far, and that's been the one consistent thing: is that every episode at least feels alive, and it has all the stars every week. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many weeks do we get where there's not ninety-five percent of those stars? And when they're
1: and when they're gone, it means more when they come back. Like right. we say this week, we'll talk about it with Flair. But when he comes back, it's uh, like a hero's welcome. It was like that for Sting when he was gone for a month, too.
0: And even if you miss them, they still have everybody else. You're not just having two. Yeah. Like, imagine Nitro, where it's just Luger and Giant, and none of the other big stars are on. And then next week, like, but no, it's never that way. It's like, they're all on every week, no matter what. Even if they're just in the, even if it's just the NWO and the crowd, like, they're on. You're seeing them on your TV. Whereas with Sean, like your point, like we may go three weeks without seeing Sean on TV. He's your biggest star.
1: Yeah. I mean, that built the whole bill with mankind. It was nothing. Right, we never saw we him. talked about. It was just garbage. So, yeah. and then he didn't even have a match the next pay-per-view. So, right. Yeah.
0: not All right. So we'll see how they continue to, to you know, flutter. Like uh, it's better. Like I don't know if it's better.
1: Yeah, I mean, saying all that, there was... I mean, there was certainly positive on the show. Like I said, that opening match is a positive Mm -hmm. thing. Um, Them pivoting quickly is a positive thing, too. It's just, when will it come together? There's a lot more better
0: to it, for sure, than where it was. So, we're growing. I just think it's going to be now in this little bit of a frustrating stretch until they finally pull the trigger. Like mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna say like between now and the rumble, I think we're still gonna feel like this, where the pieces are there, we're close, but they need still need a shake up. I think it's after the rumble is when the big shakeup comes, finally. I'm not saying everything's great after that, but I think it starts to at least mix things up. Okay. So not bad, right? Like a couple months away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Why don't you take us over to Nitro?
1: All right, so Nitro uh, you know this this kind of right away they start with something different where we we start with a cold shot kind of a cold open right away we see the uh, outsiders in the ring uh high voltage is laid out the nasty boys are laid out uh Ciclope is in there uh, galaxy is in there <laughs> um bismarck so is in there yeah, so they they've they've laid out a posse with chairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, come to find out, on this nitro, they started at eight fifty five or seven fifty five too. Uh, Bishop trying to get the jump. That. Yeah, so they they got the jump on the jump. Um, you know, they presented it, which I, I think is I think it's kind of coy how they present it with like. You know, Tony explained this was a pre-show match and they, you know, attacked them and they wanted to show, uh, you know, they wanted to show it. So they kind of cut to it. I, I'd have been interested to see like what the lead in show, whether it was a direct cut or if they just wrapped that show up earlier than usual um, to get straight to this. But but as far as a uh, opening, it was pretty jarring to see. Um, so then they hop outside to kind of where Tony and Larry are set up uh, right at ringside. And uh, they grab the microphone, Nash grabs the microphone, and uh, he has a shot at Larry's attire. <laughs> so nice to see you dressed up this week, Larry. Uh, he tells Tony he doesn't see him laughing at him now. Nash says he can be deadly or funny. Uh, and asks, do you want to pick up your kids, talking about Tony's uh, bad neck and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then Hall grabs the microphone, says he's heard how scary the faces of fear are and that Ming and Barbarian are the two toughest guys in the business. Uh, Come on out here and we'll slap that coconut breath out of you. So uh, another uh, great uh, uh, prejudice line from Mm -hmm. Hall, but there you go. Uh, you know, uh, they say they can't have a pay-per-view in WCW without inviting the NWO, um, and they kind of stalk off and say they'll find the faces of fear and take the fight to them, uh, as Larry and Hall continue to stare at each other. Um, then, as they walk through the curtain, the faces of fear are ready for them and actually attack. Uh, Ming sends Hall into the table. Barbarian and Nash both pick up a trash can and hurl those at each other. And the uh, uh, the action spills to the outside the arena as Tony, kind of very in a somber tone, says, "We have to take a break." So I thought this was a really wild opening. Yeah, I thought this set the stage for a lot. It was unique. It felt fresh. Uh, There was a lot that I liked here, like the Outsiders were cool, Uh, but then I I really liked the Faces of Fear taking the fight Mm -hmm. to them, like that's something we hadn't really seen much, and you know, that they were waiting for them when they came through the curtain and didn't back down, so I thought that was refreshing as well, and of course we're still planting the seeds between Hall and uh, Larry, which is just... I think it great. <laughs> I don't know why that dynamic works so much, but yeah, it's always good. one that does like, they always just work against each other.
0: Well, the interesting thing too is Tony's, a, uh, you know, he's pissed here. Like, yeah. You know, he asked Larry to step in, uh, halfway through and right. Larry, Larry throws him on the bus because the other one who laughed, <laughs> like, like why am I, why am I the guy? Cause I used to wrestle basically like, why, why is this on me? And Tony's not happy. He's like, you know, you throw me out of the bus you're standing here. They're out here for both of you. Nash is messing with Tony's hair the whole time. Uh, as as the NW leaves to go to the back, Larry calls them cowards and paid thugs. And Tony's mad at Larry. He's not blaming them. He's like, you know, thanks for helping, basically. thanks. You know, you stood there like an idiot while they're bullying me, threatening my neck. Uh, and then I, I like the brawl as well. Like I said, I like the face of fear going right at them. Uh, not something we always get with the WCW guys attacking. And I think it was a good reminder that the outsiders can be vicious and not just goofs. Right. It was kind of like mm-hmm. I look like a clown to you kind of thing. Right. Like, it, you know, all fun, funny and jokey and uh But at the end of the day, Tony can still choke you out and kill you. Right. Like, so they're not just out here being goofs like they can still beat the shit out of you and, uh, you know, added a little heat to the match. So I thought that was really good, especially after last week, you know or whatever the last episode was when they came out and we're were being goofy and funny. We were cracking mm-hmm. up. That so was hilarious. I, I think it was a good answer by them to show like, hey, okay, that was fun. But look, we could wreck wreck house still too. And don't forget how vicious we could be in the ring. So I, th- I thought that was good. Um, and we got more Tony Larry to come. So do you want to get to that?
1: Uh, well, just real quick. I, I do think it's important to note, and this is the attention to detail that, you know, WCW, you know, continues to kill it. So, on this episode, with what transpires in this episode, the announcers and how they act when certain things happen carries a lot of gravity, right? Mm-hmm. So, you have this opening segment where the outsiders talk down to Tony, and he gives a great, genuine look of concern and pissed. Um, yeah, You know, like, it's, it's a great duality that he has. And if you compare that to about an hour later, which we'll get to, but when Hogan comes into the booth and does essentially the same thing with Bischoff, there's certainly a different level of phoniness that you see through and how Bischoff acts compared to Tony. Yes. When you see what happens at the end of the show. It's it's a great, it's just a great contrast to show that like they're they're right on top of things, and it was important to show. Um,
0: and well, and I've I've given Tony I think MVP at least once, but I, yeah. I think the undersell, and I think it'll give you more once he becomes the main dude the whole show. But I, I mean, he really is like a big part of Nitro, a consistently big part of Nitro. Like he is great at narrating us through the night in hour one, always setting the tone for what's to come. I mean, you know, like, on Extreme Three-Way Dance, every other Thursday here, we're going through the history of ECW, me and Jenny and Matt often talk about how, you know, whether you're a Joey Styles fan or not, he's our navigator through the show, right? Like, he's our yeah. voice that walks us through the entire show. That's Tony here. Like, Tony is our voice of Nitro, is our voice of WCW. Whether it's, you know, Bischoff acts like he's the top guy in hour two or not, it's Tony. Tony's our voice. So, yes, like, this is a big deal when he's feeling this way because he's who we live through on the show and we're going to, it's going to become even more so when he's the guy, which is coming soon. So um, to me, he is a consistent top five MVP, like a nitro.
1: The the best announcers and, in, in wrestling history have been when they can be kind of your conscious, you know, like the Jiminy cricket for what you're thinking and, and uh, helping lead you through. So when you think of, Some of the great announcing uh, throughout wrestling history, like Lance Russell in Memphis does that through all the mayhem in Memphis, you know, he's just like, come on, we got a show to do. Like, he does that annoyance really well. Mm Ross in WCW, like in 1989, always carries a great, like, gravity of the athleticism and you know, like, hey, this is real wrestling, not the pomp and circumstances of WWF. Which, if you're a fan of WWF at the time, that really resonates. So, Tony does a good job of that here. That, like, this is a attack on the company and mm-hmm. my livelihood as I know it, and he acts
0: accordingly. So, yep. it's it's really good. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, he's, so, yeah. he's,
0: he's the best announcer of anything we watch consistently for sure. He's number one for me uh, of all this. Uh,
1: so we come back, we get the intro from Tony and Larry. They show steals, uh, photos of the outsiders attacking. They say they won't show the
0: chair shots. Uh,
1: then Tony kind of basically, well, you know, actually
0: even before that, they say the nasty boys attacked high voltage. Yeah. Um. First, and then the outsiders came out. So that was interesting because I don't know what the nasties are doing in here, but they attacked High Voltage, um, and they say High voltage faced some of the Mexican superstars. That's how they present them. So not even, but uh, good. I just always interested that the nasties were involved. Well, and there's a comment
1: from the giant later on that kind of throws into that as well. So they tie everything together in this Mm -hmm. show. Uh, so Tony then turns to the camera, says he doesn't want to be pushed around. He, like he said, he asked Larry, he's like, look, you were a former wrestler. You know, I wasn't, I've never been in the ring. Why didn't you step in? Uh, Tony apologizes, says he has five children that he's got to look out for and that Larry can handle the broadcast. And he stomps off, he takes off his headset and Mm -hmm. leaves. Uh, Larry's kind of dejected And it was like, where are you going? You know, like, oh, I'll just let Larry Figure it out Um, so, so I, I don't know If he had any commentary to add But I thought this was cool, too Like, we hadn't seen that from Tony
0: Yet He's pissed, yeah, he's like, you're supposed to You know, if we're not friends, you're at least You're a former world champion At ringside, I'm just an announcer the, You're you're shit-talking these dudes just as much as I am You're you're saying I laughed you know, you're out here every week calling them the New World Order and all this other stuff. like, you know, you're shitting out of just as much as me, buddy. And like, you know, what the hell? And Larry's just trying to cool him down. He's like, you're fine. We're fine. Nothing happened. Don't worry about it. Stop stressing. And he's like, no, I'm not fine. And Larry says, look, you're fine. And I'm not Clint Eastwood. So he's like, you know, I'm, I'm old. So whether I was a champion or not, I'm not in my prime like these guys are. And yeah, that's so what he says. He's got five kids, a wife. He doesn't need this shit. And Larry, you want the big mouth, you can do play by play. So I thought that was a like, great, like you run your mouth, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not innocent. I'm running my mouth too, but we got to be a team out here when these guys show up. So, uh, but he, this is like a big difference between him and Bobby, you know, like Bobby, we see his more mm-hmm. as coward, right? Like, uh, he just runs away whenever they yeah, come Yeah. As soon as they come out. Yeah. He yeah. Plays. This is more like he stood in the face, but in the end he's like, I shouldn't have to do this. And, hey, by the way, why don't you help my back? Like, I don't care, right. we you
1: know. Yeah, it was cool. It was really well done. Um, now we lead all that to a very interesting opening match, yes. which is to Guerrero versus the debuting La Parka. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was so excited to hear that music fire up and him come out. First off, his suit here is something to behold, like... <laughs> Um, I don't know when he goes to just the kind of straight skeleton bodysuit, right. but this suit was dangerous in of itself. Cause there was like, it was layered and had like buckles and, <coughs> and shapes that it could have been comfortable, like bumping in or bumping on top of, uh, just a wild suit, but, uh, al- already has a great look. Um Hoovy dies off the rope, top rope to start, rolls through a spinning kick, some chops for Hoovy. Uh Parka does uh some chops as well in the nip up sequence between them. Parka hits a big kick. Now he has the advantage. Uh Mike Tenay comes out, he kinda cobbles together, says he wasn't prepared for this, but he'll do the best he can. So he's joining Larry now. Uh Parka slingshots in uh sends Hoovy to the outside he does a nasty suicide dive sending hoovey into the railing uh both of the guys are back in and they're up to the top rope where la gets crotched uh he's sort of sitting on top of the top rope of Hoovy does the springboard rana off of that for two count Hoovy does a spring uh board moonsault that kind of barely hits parka he almost missed him on that but he does get him uh goes back out for another springboard and gets caught with a drop kick by la parka big time crossbody, uh to the floor for la parka with some big air power bomb back on the inside a surfboard that who able to flip out of and get a pin attempt uh who lands a missile drop kick for two uh and and you know i just thought like as this match was going on that this may be the best combo we've ever had as far as this match happened at the same time Stone Cold versus Mankind was oh, going yeah. on. Yep. I, I don't think we've had two matches of that quality that were going at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that was cool. Like, it would have been tough to kind of keep up with. Uh, Tanay talks about a rumor that Roddy Piper is there, but they hadn't been able to kind of finalize or substantiate that rumor. Uh, Parker goes shoulder-first into the post. Hoovy bounces his head ten times off the turnbuckle. Hoovy takes Parker over with another Rana, just a ton of Rana, springboards, et cetera. Uh, today does let us know Piper was at the Cable Ace Award, so, you know, we can rest easy there. Uh, Hoovey locks in a chin lock to kind of reset things. He rolls through again, uh, some pin attempts for two. Parker gets a slam. He heads to the top. He misses a somersault senton Hoovy then drops an elbow and gets a two count inside cradle from La parker gets two Hoovy gets a ddt for another two count just a lot of near falls going on tornado ddt look nasty by Hoovy and that also gets a two count Hoovy goes for the rana it gets blocked and then parka does kind of a step up corkscrew splash off the top rope to win so a really cool debut, I thought, for La Parca. Um, As a match, I thought the back half got a little bit repetitive. Um, like, for me, like, the first few minutes of this, like, it was really trending towards really good territory. Uh, it it kind of felt like it ran out a little bit of steam. They probably could have sliced, like, a minute or two. Um, that's something that's been sort of consistent for me with Uvi so far. Like, he's had good energy to start. But at the end of his matches, it just feels like a lot of kind of springboards. Rana's kind of repetitive rep- uh, repetitiveness has kind of gotten taken over the match a little bit. But that being said, I thought it was still a good debut for La Parka. Fun matchup overall, and I went three stars. Good opener.
0: Yeah, it's a really good opener. And to your point, like it's crazy that these two things were co- you know conflicting between the two shows. It's definitely probably the best head to head we've had. I think Larry's pretty good here early on. He's like, yeah, no problem. I'll handle it <laughs> when it comes out. Um, he does a good job too. He's like, try to be kind of serious. Uh, and then Mike today bails him out. So, and Larry's direct too. He's like, Tony needs to be a man and do his job. Like deal with it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Today. has some good points too, about how park is larger than most of the Lucha stars. Um, which is true. And yes, to get the Piper and Hogan talk, but I, I dug this match a lot too. Park is obviously a great addition to the cruiserweight division. We know he can work, and he stands out more than the others as well, just based on the the look and the size. Uh, the finish was good with the Corkscrew Plancha. It was a little bit slower than usual Cruiser Opens. The crowd got a little restless, but they gave him some time, and they really varied things up. And I think it was a good match to, to give time to, because they really needed a minute to settle down and reset the show after what happened early on. So I thought it was good that they gave this some time to really reset things. Uh, the, sh- the match itself was a good table setter. I think a tighter pace and a quicker, you know, quicker pace and a tighter match made it connect a little bit better. But it was yeah. a good debut for for Parker for sure. So I went three stars as well, and it's good to see him here. I
1: uh, and and we'll talk about it with this show, but I think overall it should be mentioned. We we talked about um, kind of in the weeks prior how every segment's kind of had NWO involvement.
2: Mm -hmm. And I
1: thought this show did a good job of making the stuff feel fragmented. Like the announcers were still touching on stuff, but it wasn't dominating the conversation uh, throughout the matches tonight. And if it really didn't involve anything with the NWO, like it wasn't, you know, they, they weren't there. So you didn't have as much of the crowd like looking at the aisle and all that. Uh, as you had in prior weeks, so so I enjoyed that. Yep, uh, Quick video package for Ultimo Dragon, which they say Ultimate And the yep. uh, writing on the package. Uh, basically, just showing like him winning the J Crown um, to kind of set up why he has eight belts, uh, and then that sets up the match tonight, which is De Malenko versus Ultimo or Ultimate Dragon. A really cool match on paper. Uh, We get a very quick Ray promo from backstage just basically saying he wants the belt back from Dean. You know, nothing much there. Uh, Good chain wrestling to start. Ultimo gains the advantage. He starts kicking Dean down. Some quick pin reversals. Tiger suplex gets two for Ultimo. Dean clobbers him with a clothesline. Ultimo hits a jumping back kick but misses the baseball slide. Reversal on the outside sends Dean into the railing. Malenko follows Dragon and a back elbow sends Dean down. Uh, Moonsalt does miss for Ultimo. And then Dean goes to the Cloverleaf. But Sonny uh, Ono's on the apron. Dean kind of charges at him. And that sends Sonny Ono flipping into the ring. Uh, Dragon gets back body drop to the outside. And uh, Randy Anderson kind of calls that a DQ for going over the mm. top rope. Um, so, I mean... This, uh, this unfortunately was a political finish that you knew was going to happen. Uh, so, so a shoddy finish, and it was a very quick match. I, I do think we could have sliced like two minutes from the opener and gave two minutes to this,
0: and it may have been Agreed. better overall. Better um, for both. Thank you.
1: Yeah. But, uh, but I, I thought this was pretty fun while it lasted, but it was, uh, too abbreviated to be much more than that. So I went two and a half.
0: Yeah. It was, uh, Definitely, it was disappointing to me. Um It's a big match. I mean, Ultimo's trying to unite the belts, obviously get number nine and bring them all together, but he's facing Ray at World War Three. So I think it was believable that he could win tonight with the way they build it and the fact that he's fight facing Ray at the pay per view. Uh, but the finish was was weak. Like I don't mind the DQ, I don't mind anything, but like the over the top thing is lame. Like just I don't know. Have, maybe have Soniano come in. Maybe just have him brawl outside and have a double count out. Dragon, it's a Tope or outside yeah. moonsault on the floor or something and they both get counted out. Like whatever, do something like that. That was just a lame ending. And the match was just starting to cook, I thought they were they were like just kinda of getting getting into it um before the silly finish. Like I felt like they had just got going. Uh they both had obviously a nice chemistry, so hopefully we'll see more of them in the future. But for now it's just this was just kind of a taste. Uh Dragon obviously is a great addition to the roster along with the parka, so we're really beefing things up. Uh two stars for me on the match. It was just it was disappointing more than anything, but they just didn't really give a chance.
1: They're very inconsistent on when that's a DQ and when it's not. Um, Feels kind of like the World Cup. Like what's a penalty kick and what's not. So uh, could help with some consistency there. WCW Saturday night. Pretty good lineup. Faces of Fear versus Sequel Pay and Galaxy. They get another crack at it on Saturday night. Uh, Regal versus Malenko for the TV title. That sounded fun. Chris Jericho's in action. Arn Anderson versus Buckhouse Buck, yeah,
2: that's a, name,
1: an interesting one. a name I did not think would be mentioned again, but there he is. I guess, uh, has he
0: been on the weekend all this time? I guess so. Yeah,
1: very odd. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Jarrett versus Mike Enos, Taskmasters in a- action, and then the NWO is there as well. Yep. So, So, good lineup, I thought.
0: Yeah, it's a good Saturday night right there. Well, is that the that's the pay per view weekend, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think they always try and beef it up a little bit. It's
1: the same night as the Baltimore show, <laughs> they keep <laughs> that's right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, then we get a recap of the week before with the Harlem Heat, amazing French Canadians uh, stuff going on. Colonel Robert Parker. Uh, so that that uh, sets up a tag match is announced for the pay per view between the two teams. If Harlem Heat wins, Sister Sherry gets five minutes with Colonel Robert Parker. So, there you go. Uh, amazing French Canadians come out. Uh, Parker has on, I mean, what would you call this get-up? Uh, school Canadian aristocratic? Yeah. Or,
0: no, it's like old school like, military gear. Like, okay. he's <laughs> like supposed to be like a, maybe a general in like uh, <laughs> War of 1812. Maybe something like that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's funny because Larry, the, it, it, Larry uh, says, you know, talking about legionnaire's disease or something. I guess <laughs> it's like a French legionnaire outfit, but OK. Uh,
1: and they're facing the American males,
0: mm-hmm. so we at least hear
1: that theme again. Uh, Bagwell starts a USA champ to start off. Uh, Larry, this was, you know, I thought he was good on the show, but it's only annoying quirk. Quarter- he kept calling Hulk Hogan, Ed Wood.
0: Yes. Hollywood Hogan. That got very... Well, crazy. no, Edward Hulk Hogan because instead of Hollywood, it's Edward.
1: He well, him. and sometimes he was even throwing the Hollywood. Like,
0: it's Edward, Edward
1: Hollywood. Hollywood Hulk Hogan. is like, dude, you can't have 17. Yeah,
0: this is one of Larry's downsides is he constantly tries to get these things over and he'll beat them into the ground until they do. Or, yeah, or even if they don't.
1: <laughs> this one was really bad.
0: Like, what a
1: dated, lame reference. Um it that back about? was it around that time or was it earlier? I don't know, I feel like it was like a few years earlier. But
0: uh no. Yeah, I can try
1: nineteen
0: ninety four. All right, yeah, so it's yeah, it's dated a couple of years. I mean
1: September 28
0: nineteen ninety four. So yeah, a
1: full two years. You know. He, he, you know, what what's next? He's calling Teddy Long Vince of Vega. You know, I mean come on, <laughs> it's, it's enough of, enough of
0: this. Little um, giant calling the NWO the little giants. <laughs> Um, oh, by the way, watched Rookie of the
1: Year last week. <laughs> yeah, hold up. No. Yeah, pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, Rookie of the Year stuff. Part, part of my childhood died. Um, <laughs> uh, Bagwell gets the drop kick to both. Double clothesline sends Olette to the outside. Rougeau joins them. They kind of regroup. Uh, Riggs and Rougeau then restart the match. Jock does his nip up. Uh, he kicks when Riggs like hesitates cause he wants, he wants Riggs to do the nip up and Riggs is just sort of staring at him like a dummy. Uh, and then he just kicks him. Uh, Riggs then gets an ugly monkey flip. Mm-hmm. Like Jock got no air on that. Uh, Rougeau goes for the monkey flip. Riggs puts on the brakes, punches him. The males then kind of run into each other and Bagwell's pissed. So, you know, as we talked about previous weeks, they've been on the show a little bit of miscommunication, life's not uh, simpatico between the, the males right now. Uh, the French-Canadians take over on Riggs. They do an awkward awkward slam that looks kind of vicious, where Riggs was sitting kind of in a seated position, and Jock picks up Olette and slams him onto Riggs's back. Yeah. Uh it looked nasty, but uh I, I don't know if he was I don't know if like Riggs was
0: supposed to be I think lame. I don't think was Riggs set up. Yeah, I think yeah. I think Riggs sat up too soon and like they were already in the slam position. But that was that was rough looking. I don't <laughs> was think like, that's supposed to be the goes
1: Yeah, I was like, oh uh
0: double stun gun. I
1: thought Riggs got good air on that. Ouellette, though, then accidentally nails Jock with a punch. Bagwell gets the hot tag. Double slam, clothesline, drop kick, back body drop, punch to the gut. Uh, Scotty then comes back and hits a knee into Rougeau, but it catapults him forward, and he hits Bagwell kind of head-to-head. So both of them are out and olette rolls jock on top of bagwell and the major first canadians pick up the win um so so it's pretty clear where this is headed like the rigs, uh the males after after the match are kind of seen mm-hmm. talking to each other not seeing eye to eye at all um so uh there's definitely trouble in paradise here as, as a tag match i thought this was okay um you know, I, I don't think the reputation for Jock Joe is really good anymore. But he's pretty bad. Like, you crawl it with the PTB stuff, with the mounty mm-hmm. And this is four years removed from that run. <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't think he was very good, besides maybe the early
0: Fabulous Joe stuff. Well, and yeah. uh, some of the Quebecer stuff.
1: I mean, I just, I, even in ring... I don't know. Like, to me, it feels like there's maybe a lot of weight put on one very good, you know, one to two very good tag matches. So, I don't know. I mean, character-wise, he's okay. He's definitely good with the Quebecers, but seems a little overrated. But, again, I think his reps kind of hit a little bit. So, maybe properly rated now. But, I mean, this is a decent tag match. Two stars for me.
0: I mean, I think you could argue he's the worst part of those teams. Like, I think Ray was better with the Rougeaus. I think Pierre's been better, you know, was better with the Quebecers. I just, I think Jacques, character wise, is kind of more his thing. Like, I think he was, as like, kind of the lead goof of the Quebecers, was the best part of it. But mm-hmm. um, as far as the smash goes, yeah, it was solid. I thought Bagwell looked pretty good in there, but obviously the main story is keeping the the American males tension. Uh, cresting throughout this uh, The Canadians are fun goofs But they can still work And they're heating up a bit So they get a big night on Sunday We'll see where that leads Again, a lot of it is just the, the miscoordination of the mail So it's clear their days are numbered We'll see where things go with that I think it's about time And they've been together for what A year and a half or so Like They kind of peaked a year ago <laughs> like, Yeah. Kinda, I think we're ready to get back Well, Maybe something a little bit more Or even rig See where he can go There's room for him Maybe the cruiserweight So The stuff you could do with them, Uh, I I think the tag division is deep enough where we probably don't really need them anymore. They're not believable to hang with some of these other teams. So uh, the match itself is fine, two and a quarter.
1: All right, then. um, (laughs) So they uh, today talks about how they regain control of the website, I guess, the NWA NWO took it over. Mm -hmm. And so they show some of the web pages. And my God, this was straight out of 1996. Uh, So we have the WCW Darkroom, WCW Feature Story. Yes. uh, Just just a lot of 1996 GOCs (laughs) looking (laughs) uh,
0: basic web pages here. Yep. Yep. And this is, I think their website was. Fairly new-ish, because they were on CompuServe in 95 into early 96. Do they have Yeah, I think the website is still kind of on the newer end, for sure.
1: Uh, then I think we get our next match, right? Yep. So it's uh, Hugh Morris versus Lake Sluger. And never too excited to see Hugh roll out <laughs> there, but we'll see what he does. Uh, Morse gets slammed to start We get an uh, Arn Anderson insert promo This is another one of these promos For the Baltimore show He's facing Luger on that show uh, Arn says he was attacked with a vengeance And Halloween havoc uh, He uh, talks about how they're Matching Baltimore's the night before World War 3 And if he's able to lock, uh, knock Luger out It makes for better odds For him to have in the uh, Battle Royal So Kind of using that as a mm-hmm. lead-in, at least for the pay-per-view, but I digress. Uh, Morris gets suplex. Luger no-sells it. We want sting champs from the crowd. I think this may be one of the first times I've noticed it, uh, that they're kind of starting to flare up in these crowds. Uh, we are told on commentary Rick Flair is going to be at that Baltimore show. I thought Hugh Morris got a lot of offense in on Luger. Yeah, uh, but again, like it's it's Hugh Morris, so the offense is bored. It's just kick punch kick punch kick punch. Luger does his comeback, and then a, a pretty unfortunate finish where Luger goes to rag Hugh Morris. He kind of gets him up, but doesn't get it clinched really well. Uh, as soon as he lifts him up, Hugh Morris is practically like moving his hand to give up. So the referee signals. Uh, it's Randy Anderson. He signals and says that's the finish. Uh Luger looks pretty clearly flustered at that. Um, it was it was kind of a mess overall. So so as a match I thought this was kind of a mess too. I mean, it's mainly just to say like Luger's overall, but whatever. I want a star and a half.
0: Yeah, star and three quarters. It was basically a semi squash. Luger's always got the energy and his aggressive offense is good. The crowd is super into him. He definitely feels like one of their biggest stars. Again, we just don't get the focus. I mean even World War Three overall it feels it's been overlooked. You know, what I mean, like we get a little bit of talk, but it's, it doesn't feel like we're really focusing on the Battle Royal a lot and like all the implications. We almost get more talk on Baltimore than we do with World War Three every week. So uh, it's it's weird. It almost feels like they're punting the show a bit and focusing towards Sarcade. So we'll see if that continues, I guess, into the show. But I mean, it's this is the go home, and we're barely covering it at this point. Um, and like to see again more from Luger overall. Um, You know, Luger seems upset, of course, where, you know, he drops him quick. Uh, I I don't know if he meant to hold him longer because Anderson says Morris tapped and Lex kind of seems upset. Um, And Morris is actually obviously pretty heavy. So maybe Luger to struggle the first time. Maybe he's going to try and redo it. But uh, Anderson's calls for the bell. So Lex seems a little pissed. So I don't know if they botched that up or what. But uh, starting three quarter for me, we need to see more with Luger here. Yeah,
1: it it looked like Luger wasn't able to, like, get the clinch on uh, the head. Right. As well as he thought. But, yeah, like, Morris, as soon as he got lifted, he was moving his hand to Mm -hmm. tap out. So, kind of sucked. Interview, Gene's in the ring to talk to Luger. This actually turned out to be pretty important. Um, Yeah. So, uh, Gene says Luger's on a tear. Luger says with World War III coming up, he's... uh, He's wanting to win it so he can go after Hulk Hogan. He wants a shot at that. And then the crowd erupts as Steen comes over the railing. He's uh, got a red baseball bat. But uh, like we talked about, he's in his full-on crow Sting mm-hmm.
0: makeup
1: and attire now. Uh, Sting gets into the ring, stares face-to-face with Luger, taps him on the chest with the bat, kind of pushes him back, points the bat at him then hands in the bat and walks away. So uh, what do you think of the promo? And then what do you think of the sting and Luger interaction?
0: I know the promo is pretty good. I mean, Luger's straightforward, right? He says, Sunday's his chance. 60 guys going after that. Gene calls on the favorite, the crowds kind of into him. And then out comes sting. Um, you know, we're starting to see sting interact a little bit more, which is good. This is a little confusing, like what's going on, but I think it's a good way. Like it's opening up some questions. Uh, him turning his back to Luger, kind of giving him a shot to hit him if he wants is interesting. So that was good. I mean, I think we don't get much exposition about it, but it's clear that Sting still has some kind of tie internally to Luger. And he's giving Luger a chance to perhaps prove himself, you know, where's his loyalty lie uh, and Sting's just kind of playing mind games, but it's, you know, I was glad to hear Gene present Luger as the favorite on Sunday because, Along with part of the NWO, he's the the top option. So we should be building him that way.
1: All right. Uh, We come back with hour two to start. So, so, I mean, that was actually a pretty big hour when you think about it. Yes, yeah. Like we had the sting moment. We had the outsiders attack. Tony stomping off a good... Good TV match, got some star power with Luger. Maybe one of the um, best
0: hours we've had, first hours we've had in a while. Like, yeah. I've I mean, been complaining I mean, a bit about the first hour lately.
1: Yeah, some of the stuff, like even the matches that it's set, like even, you know, the males fighting, like that's serving a purpose. Like that's leading somewhere. So. Yes, it's interesting uh eric leads us in then we see clips from uh nick patrick and his attorney sharp on uh, wsw saturday night where uh he's asked a question from tony shivani's conducted that interview so he asks a question to nick patrick sharp comes in uh, interjects says he's the legal counsel should be all, all inquiries should be directed towards him Uh, a little bit of back and forth and then uh, uh, essentially Teddy long and Chris Jericho Mm -hmm. come out and kind of Teddy on Jericho's behalf sort of sets up the match that we're going to have at World War three where it's Chris Jericho versus Nick Patrick where Jericho has one arm tied behind his back. Uh, So there we go. Uh, Bobby calls that a stupid move.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think Teddy sucks. Like, I'm done with him. I'm sick of seeing him. He screwed up ice train. Now he's t- dragging down Jericho like an albatross. Yeah. Like, you know, Sharp is, I'd rather see Sharp than Teddy. I like Sharp. <laughs> he's pretty funny. Um, Teddy, just, he's so lame. Like, his lawyer jokes are lame. Uh, Sharp says Jericho's a goon like his dad, which was funny. Uh, <laughs> oh, then they all freeze because Long forgets what he's supposed to say. And yeah. Tony kind of, you know, reminds him of his cue. And uh, then he remembers what he's going to say. And that's when he throws out that Jericho could beat you with one arm. Uh, And Sharp says, he goes, you made it a verbal binding agreement in front of 6 million people. I don't think that many people are watching Saturday night, Uh, (laughs) but uh, I said 6 million people uh, witness this agreement. Bishop then (laughs) reveals that this match is official for world war three. So uh, I just think long is not, I, I like Teddy Long in general, but he has not been good in this run here. He's he's a lot of sorts constantly. There you he go. He's not funny. Like, just everything about it. All right.
1: Uh, really random match next. Johnny Grunge <laughs> rolls out there uh, versus Chris Jericho. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the network, they have the Break the Walls Down music,
0: which. Oh, it drives me nuts. Every just, time. just put in any stupid fake song. Why do we need that? Why do we need that?
1: It, it's pretty bad uh jericho starts hot with some slamming kicks bobby says all the girls are asking him in the airport about jericho so there we go that's the new word on the street uh for bobby in the airport uh nick patrick god i loved his get up here so he he's in the alley. i mean if you like like you know those spirit costumes people are posting on facebook around halloween like if you did hero wrestler it would show what nick <laughs> patrick is wearing and he's in all black uh has the neck brace on earrings and both ears sunglasses mean mugging like it's it, it, it was pretty awesome uh Grunge gets a bat suplex. off again says uh, Piper being there is nothing but a rumor so far. You know, it's kind of all gossip and whatnot. Uh, Jericho sends Grunge head first into the turnbuckle, does a backwards dive, but gets clotheslined by Johnny Grunge. Action spills the outside where Jericho is able to uh, gain the advantage, but when he sends Grunge back in, Grunge is able to get the stun gun. Uh, Then Grunge kind of goes towards the plunder. He grabs a chair, does a reverse atomic drop on it, and a running clothesline. Next, he goes outside and retrieves a table. Table is sent in, and Jericho's placed on top of it. Uh, Grunge has the chair, climbs to the top, but he misses an elbow drop and goes through the table, and then Jericho gets a missile drop kick for the win. So, I mean, this was all right, like, as a match. Grunge, as a singles, not great. I'll say that. I thought him kind of going to the plunder also took away from the flow for the match. So it was okay, but pretty inconsequential overall. I went to star in three quarters.
0: Yeah, not much here to be excited about. Um, just a lot of kind of resetting with Bischoff and Bobby into our two uh, kind of ECW flavor, I guess this match a little bit. Uh, yeah. Bischoff talks about Jericho going to Japan for a tour due to the request of the promotion over there. So that was interesting. Um. Yeah, Patrick. Patrick's look is good. A lot of Bischoff on Piper. He's not gonna be here. Uh, just a rumor. Hogan will be here, but Bischoff seems very off. Like he's very hesitant in his speech, and definitely seems not fully engaged or focused here tonight. Yeah. Uh, Jared goes woozy on the outside too, and hits that springboard dropkick. So I don't know if he got banged up. They missed that one kick out. So this this one's just kind of all over the place. Um. The finish was fine with grunge, you know, going through the table and the missile drop kick. But I thought overall it kind of stunk. It was awkward or slow moving. I don't know. They just, neither guy seemed engaged, like engaged with each other. Both seemed out of sync. And the, then the finish was a bit contrived. Um, I, Jericho was hot. He was one of our MVPs week after week. And it feels like he's completely hit the skids. Like this Teddy Long, the Patrick feud is just kind of ground him to a halt. And then this has not helped either. So start a quarter for me. And the, this is the most out I've been on Jericho since he's arrived easily. I don't uh, know if it's been his fault, but it's just—it's just like everything he's in lately has not been entertaining.
1: Yeah, I mean it's like I've definitely done with Teddy versus Patrick. Um, I would say the Jericho Patrick stuff, like after World War III, probably needs to be the end of that. So yes, please. We'll, we'll see. Um, I'm not—I think as out of him on you, but yeah, I don't want it to drag on, so we'll, we'll mind for that. Uh, interview, uh, after the match, he gets interrupted by Teddy almost immediately. Uh, basically apologizing, bas- saying that you know he may have been a little overzealous, which he definitely was, but I digress. Uh, Jericho then says, Don't worry about it, he'll have one tied, one hand tied behind his back, he'll still beat Nick Patrick. So, nothing much there. I thought, yeah, that was basic. Uh, Then we come back from a break, and we get another big segment where uh, all of a sudden the NWO music starts up, Mm -hmm. outstrolls. An interesting grouping. Uh, It's kind of Hogan's crew that we've been seeing, minus the Giant. He has had the Giant there, Yep. but uh, it's Hogan, DiBiase, Vincent, and Miss Elizabeth. In an NWO shirt over her dress, yep. They come out unannounced. Eric says, Bobby Bells, like we talked about, I'm out of here. Uh, Hogan gets the mic as he says, It's time for Hollywood, brother. Mr. Bischoff, you being the foundation of WCW, the NWO is here to set the record straight. He demands Eric to tell everyone he's a bigger star, a superstar, and icon than Roddy Piper. Eric kind of feigns looking reluctant to do it at first, but he ends up doing it. Now he wants Eric to tell them that Piper is scared to death of Hollywood. It won't show his face. Uh, Eric says not everyone would agree to that, but he does end up saying the stuff Hogan asked him to. Yep. Hogan then wants to uh, wants Eric to talk about how Hogan's 100 times richer than Piper, and uh, Eric does that as well. After that, Hogan says, now that everyone knows that Hollywood and NWO is running the show, carry on. Uh, as he walks off, Eric looks rattled in quotation marks and apologizes. So uh, what do you think of this segment overall? I thought it was really good. Yeah, I, 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 think it, I think it works better when you realize what happens at the end um, of this show. I think you can go back and see this segment for what it is. Um, But but it's just a standalone. I thought it was effective as well.
0: Yeah, it was good. Um, I I liked the Outsiders one with Tony a little bit better. This one almost felt a little uncomfortable with the way they're bullying Bischoff. But um, it was good. And I like Bischoff just being like, yep, you're richer than Piper. You know, like is this what hogan really wants like bischoff just pretending like to give a shit like it was interesting but i mean hogan's just so delusional people sit our bank accounts piper's a midget i'm a 100 times richer yep yeah. you got more money hulk yep um so again it's just the nwo showing that they have the power at any time to take over the show and force wcw to do whatever they want to do um i thought bischoff was fine here like you know, I'm not always the biggest fan of how he's been in these things. And I think it would have been easy for him to tip what was coming. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he did. I think he did a good job. Like he didn't give a smirk. He didn't give a wink. Like, you know, like he played it like he's been playing it. So I thought that was pretty good where they didn't really tip what was to come.
1: Yeah. I think that's the, the, and I'll talk about it at the end, but I I might as well make, it to me that's one of the great triumphs with mm-hmm. what happens tonight. As once it happens, it doesn't come out of nowhere. Yeah and it makes sense.
0: But You don't see it some, coming.
1: You don't really see coming. Like it's it's a great turn. It's yeah. it's, it's uh, the red wedding of I mean, I would say even Hogan walking out at Bash of the Beach, it was Mm. more like, oh, okay, here's what's about to happen. You know what I mean? Like, you didn't want to believe it, but once he walks out there, you realize he's probably going to attack Savage, Uh, and he does. This one is just really well done. Um, Then we get another piece that fits into there and also ties in another issue where Oakrell talking to Diamond Dallas Page, comes out for an interview. Uh, Dallas talks about how Nash and Hall uh, says, you know, that if you notice when they wreak havoc, Dallas isn't around. So, you know, he's not associated with uh-huh. it. He's kind of his own guy. And then out comes Hall, Nash, Six, and Giant. Uh, Hall asks Dallas if he has his wake-up call yet. Nash says, hey, have you figured it out? Dallas said he didn't appreciate the piss off comment last week. Uh, Then Giant interjects and says, You know, I don't understand why we just don't take him out like all of Hogan's friends, Mm -hmm. you know, talking about like what they did nasties and beefcake and Brutus. Yeah, right. Um, I thought this was fun where Nash says, Oh, the Giant doesn't know what's about to happen. Right. So, like, he's not in on it, which kind of plays into. The down the road, what happens mm-hmm. at World War Three and with the giant and all this? So great foreshadowing here. Yep. Six, of course, chirps in like an annoying prick, saying, "I know." And then Nash says, that, "You know, to quote Stanley Kubrick in 2001, it's going to be something very beautiful happening tonight." So there we go. uh Dallas says as the interview ends, he stands alone, and that's where self out five. Uh, came from, so I, I thought this was a good promo. Set the table again for a lot of stuff that ends up happening. Nash does tease something bigs happening tonight, mm-hmm. so that gives you your hook for the rest of the show. Um, really enjoyed this,
0: and it makes sense too because they're they're trying to drop subliminal messaging to Paige, right? That yeah, hey, your buddy is on his way on like, board right yeah you should be too like you're just not you're not picking up the clues right but they're doing it in a very cryptic way so it, i can see why it could be frustrating for viewers like <laughs> uh, all right enough like all right like what is is kind of awkward and confusing and honestly i thought everything fell off tonight um i think everything has seemed awkward to me like a lot of the commentary a lot of the in-ring and i think by the end of the night it plays better because it's like especially in the nwo end like okay like this, you just kind of knew something was up. Like maybe everyone was kind of distracted, but uh, it's one of those ones where if you're not clued into the the clues, I, I could see why you'd be maybe a little frustrated with it. But it's all well executed.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, our next match, interesting match on paper. Bobby Eaton, who looks very old uh versus jeff Jarrett, uh you know eric says you know we can't really censor the nwo so their hands are tied essentially bobby says well you know then just don't allow them in the building you know when right. today comes out with them there eric says hogan's ego is too much like the way he says that is fun you know, because that becomes kind of his trademark. Oh, this guy's too much. Like, this is kind of the first time he sort of drops that type of terminology. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jarrett gets a hip toss and struts uh, around, inverted atomic drop. Right hand sends Eaton to the outside. He gives him an a interesting little, like, hip shot that hits, Jared, uh, that hits Eaton flush in the face and has him staggering towards the railing. Then Eaton grabs Jarrett uh from the inside of the ring, throws him to the outside and into the railing. Back inside, Jarrett regains control with a suplex, calls for the figure four, locks in, gets the win, as Ric Flair walks down the aisle with a hideous sweater on. Uh, so as a match, again, not much here. couple of uh, fun, I thought, spots between these two. Good punches from Eaton. Doesn't have a lot left in the tank, but he still throws a good punch. Uh, so one star and a half.
0: Yeah, Bobby wasn't happy when he comes back to the booth. The commentators are very, like, they're all getting abused tonight, Mm -hmm. um, which is interesting, too. It's a good approach by the NWO. Like, kind of create, not dissension, but create frustration at that level. So maybe you get even more upheaval across the board. Uh, We're finally getting some hype, you know, overall for WCW pay-per-view by Bischoff. So that was good. That sweater from Flair is absurd. Uh, He's got the sling on. Uh, The matches are right. I think it could have been better with time, but it's really just a squash, which is fine. I'm not going to go against that since I advocated so much for it on raw. So like, it's kind of what we needed, right? We're just Mm -hmm. use a veteran to put over another guy. So start a half for me too. I thought the ending was, was pretty cool.
1: All right. Then we get an interview with Jared and Flair and Gene Okerlund. Jared says, this is what he's been talking about. Everyone needs to unite. He puts over Flair and how he goes out and does what he says. Uh, they show a clip of Sting coming in and attacking Jarrett. And The previous week, Jarrett called Sting a clown. Uh, Jarrett says he's not talking about the sentient. It's about two guys uniting uh, as far as, like, is there problems with the horsemen? He, he kind of doesn't address that. He says WSW's going to war. Uh, you know, he's went to war with the Giant before. He's chopped him down. And he'll do it again. Uh, Then we transition to Ric Flair. Ric Flair gets a great pop from the South Carolina crowd. Does his mean gene. Uh, Flair says he's telling the world that Jeff Jarrett is good to go. Dr. Jim fixed up his arm. He's coming back down the road soon. And he wants to uh, hear from Jared himself. Can he walk the aisle dance all night, you know, <laughs> dance with the ladies, etc.? Uh, Sting's looking on from the rafters as all this is going on. And they end the promo with the double strut.
0: Yeah. I mean, another good promo. Uh, we get the clip of the sting attack, you know, Jared's going in on sting. So he's been positioned as kind of a top face, but he's not afraid here to call Sting out because I'm a clown. Uh, you know, it says this is all about Flair and Jarrett and WCW uniting to go to war. That's all he cares about. He's getting his revenge on the giant. Flair will be back. We see Sting watching. Uh, and Flair straight up says Jarrett's a horseman. And that's it. So R and Benoit Mongo have to deal with it. <laughs> He's a horseman. Uh, another good Jarrett promo. I think it's a fine use of Flair here to continue to establish him. But this is going to go one way or another, right? Like either it's going to be accepted and Jarrett's going to get over his face and Flair's is backing him. Or. Eventually, the crowd's going to rebel and say, you're not Flair. Stop shoving him down our throat. We don't like this guy. So this is going to go one way or the other at some point. And we'll see if they embrace it either way.
1: Uh, We'll come back and we have Stagger Lee Marshall. He's at Norfolk this time. So not the next week uh, for for, uh, Nitro. He's at the pay-per-view at Scope. Uh, Says tickets are still available, which I thought was a little bit of a surprise. I guess that shows kind of the unfocus as far as this show and of itself in some ways. Um, And then he asked Bobby if there should be an emphasis on the first or second syllable when they chant weasel. So there you go. Come back from break Bobby or from the uh, segment Bobby tells Lee to walk east as far as he can. Uh, to, until he gets water in his mouth and then to continue walking <laughs> as he goes into the Atlantic Ocean.
0: Y- yep. Yeah, pretty uh, straightforward. Uh, yeah, usually check it.
1: One of the more random matches I think we'll have, Jim Powers, no Teddy Long with him versus Big Bubba rolls out there. Uh, slugfest to start, Powers gets an early advantage. He starts working an arm bar. Eric again reiterates there's been no update on Piper being there, talks about how it's gossip, etc. Drop toll by Powers, the cross body, big uppercut from Bubba, and a clothesline turns the tide. Uh, uh, leg slam and punch by Bubba, so some of his signature offense. He locks in a chin lock. Uh, then we get some hype for who could win the battle royal. Eric kind of uh, gives. An hypothesis that someone like Eddie Guerrero, that was Page, Mongo could get it. Uh, Bobby's sticking with Dean Malenko, but he does also mention the Giant could win. Uh, Charging the corner, and Powers is able to get his boot up. Powers slams Bubba into the turnbuckle on both sides. hits a knee lift, a short arm slam, uh, but kind of he runs into the short arm slam from Bubba, and that gets the win. So, I mean, this was a weird placed match. Like that didn't serve much rhyme or reason at all. Um, but I actually enjoyed it. I gotta say, uh, kind of surprisingly, I thought it was well heated. I thought the strikes looked good. And, uh, for what it was, it was pretty good hoss battle. I went two and a quarter here.
0: Yeah. It's an odd one on paper. Uh, for sure. <laughs> you know, we've, we've been Jim powers fan, not as big as Marty, but we've been Jim powers fans, <laughs> uh, and no Teddy long. So that's a win already when he comes out. Without yes. Teddy, so that's good. Um, you know, Bobby's all in on this idea that Sting is the NWO based on the black and white gear and the ball bat. Uh, Bischoff is like full Howard Cosell mode tonight. He's trying to rapidly call the offense um, in this like sing songy way, which is weird. You know, like, Bubba, have him over. Here we go. Oh, come on. He's you know, like doing this really weird cadence. So, again, he seems off. Like, I don't know if he seems nervous. Maybe he has a vibe that something's going out Piper and maybe the jig is up. You know what I mean? Like, it's clear, like, maybe he's just in a weird spot. Um, you know, Bischoff continues to downplay Piper as Internet rumors. So it was fine. Um, I don't know. I think you liked it a little bit better than me. I thought it was kind of slow. Uh, you know, I thought when Powers was on offense and had a spots it was pretty good. But otherwise, it was kind of boring. I thought the opening started well and then kind of grounded down to a halt. You know, Bubba feels like he's going nowhere, but here he is getting squashed, so that was kind of weird. Um, especially this late in the show, I guess we're just filling time, so I, I went one star. It's, I'd rather see powers go over for this one, honestly. I think I we will kind of could get more out of him, but we don't.
1: Yeah, Jimmy says that was for the dungeon, which is a weird. Right. Okay. All right. Thank you. Uh, then we get our main event. Eddie Guerrero versus Chris Benoit, always a welcome pairing. Uh, super quick start. You know, last time they had a match, it was very grounded. Both were an- injured. So I thought this was a cool contrast to that. Mm-hmm. Very quick start. Tilt to world, backbreaker by Eddie. Goes for it again, but gets blocked. A huge monkey flip by uh, Benoit with Guerrero landing on his feet. Benoit goes for the cross face. Eddie's able to reach the ropes. We get an insert promo from Kevin Sullivan talking about how uh, his working relationship ended bad in Baltimore. Daytona broke his neck, but, you know, he'll regain it all Saturday night. So, again, hype for that match together. Uh, Some nasty chops by Eddie. Back elbow, slingshot, senton into the ring. Benoit reverses Eddie into the ropes, takes over with some hard slaps as he stands over him. He starts working the arm. Uh, does a Northern Lights uh, suplex with the arm captured, uh, then does what essentially is like a Rings of Saturn, a nasty submission and an abdominal stretch. Great reversal out of the power bomb into a cover as we head to break. Back from break, they cut a. Uh, they're still cutting a great pace. Uh, press slam from Benoit gets the two front suplex hangs Eddie over the ropes. Eddie scales the top, gets a superplex. Um, but gets superplexed, Eddie then gets a Rana taking both to the outside. They brawl on the outside until Woman kind of steps in to both of them. Eddie yells at her. Uh, he gains the advantage, rolls through the frog splash when he goes to the top and we get some more reversal and pinfalls with Benoit eventually able to roll through and get the pinfall. So, uh, I mean, this is these two guys, they have very good matches with each other. This was another very good TV match. It, it was worked at a pretty furious pace uh athleticism from both was on display just just a really 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 good match i went three and a half here
0: yeah it was it was good i mean a way to pick up the show late uh tonight talks a lot about their overseas rivalry and in wcw uh, Bischoff notes that guerrero is finally looking healthy here of course we get hype for baltimore um, you know, woman gets involved. The top of superplex by Benoit was awesome. Um, always looks great. You know, I thought Tenay made a good point here. Maybe a little foreshadowing. What'll happen if the NWO, someone from the NWO wins the Battle Royal? Well, will mm-hmm. that go with Hogan? So it kind of throws that out there. The Rana to the sunset flip was a great finish. Uh, I went three and a quarter. I mean, this is really good stuff for these guys. And it was kind of a nice bookend to our watching. Like we off opened our watching with Austin, Mankind, you know, we both had three and a quarter to three and a half and we closed with this match three and a quarter, three and a half. So it, it was yeah, a nice yeah. storybook uh, for this night of Monday Night Wrestling. But we're not quite done yet, Chad, because we have one of the most uh, memorable segments of the early days of the Monday Night War coming up. Sure.
1: And executed wonderfully. So Eric says he has a few things he wants to say as we head to break. Mm-hmm. Come back from break. Eric Bischoff's in the middle of the ring. He kind of thanks the fans. Uh, he apologizes for what Hogan made him do earlier. And uh, he states, we're going to do everything in our power to try to get Piper to sign the match to take on Hogan. He's kind of rambling a bit after that. And all of a sudden, the bagpipes start up. Out It mm-hmm. Roddy Roddy Piper. Eric looks scared. He uh, audibly says, what the hell? Right. Uh, huge pop for Piper. I actually think his pop here was probably massive at, at uh, Havoc. <laughs> Um, so, so he gets a hero's welcome coming out. Piper says it's nice to be back, and he's here to tell some truth. Uh, he's never heard so many lies in his life, besides when he said them. Mm, uh, that Yeah, it's an honor to be back here. He has what do you say, six children? His first child was born in Charlotte. Uh, he talks about Hogan playing at Tootsie's while he was main <laughs> event in wrestling shows. Says he's the king of the frat house while all this is going on, Eric is pacing back and forth. You can tell he's very nervous. Piper then says he's a little PO'd. He understands someone is calling him a coward, but to quote, uh, you know, LL Cool J, you know, does the lyric from that, and then he points straight at Bischoff and says, you're a liar.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's uh, when, you know, you really start to realize, oh, what's going on? Right. Um, He came here to talk about jerks and liars. He gives kind of a little handshake to Eric. He asks Eric how he's doing. Eric says, well, you know, I've been better. (laughs) Uh, Piper says, you know, you flew all the way to Portland to talk to my manager. Did you fly first class or coach? Uh, You know, uh, Eric says, I flew coach. And then he says, when you came up to my ranch, was the road crooked or straight? Eric says he doesn't remember the crowd erupts at that. Like, I think yep. it's a great, That's what it great came reaction. Through. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's one of those amazing, like, aha moments that everybody's in. And the timing works out well, too, because right as that happened, Piper grabs in, uh, says he's a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, as the NWO comes out, and they just swarm in and grab Piper. Mm-hmm. And then you have Hogan and Bischoff embrace. And Hogan gives the great line where he says, now that everybody realizes who everybody is working for, uh, that's after like uh, Bischoff kind of hands him the microphone. Yeah. Uh, he ta- uh, Hogan says this guy was the foundation of WCW. Now he works for the NWO. He wants uh, them to stand up Piper, but to watch him real close, Piper's just an animal like kicking at him. He's out of control there's a ton of police and Doug Dillinger in the in the ring. Uh, trash is raining down. Hogan calls Piper a loser, fighting a losing battle. Uh, Until you wrestled me, no one even knew your name. Since you won't get in the ring with me, you will never be anything, my man. Hogan takes off his belt, says it's time to teach him a lesson. But Doug Dillinger gets in. Piper is just going nuts. The cops around and. Hogan and the NWO kind of retreat as we get a huge Roddy chant. Bobby, uh, it then comes on over the, uh, you know, the announce booth and mm. says like, "Are we on?" Tanae says, "I'm unsure." They're both in disbelief on Hogan and Bischoff embracing. Bobby says he's going to throw up, uh, and then as the NWO is retreating on the aisleway, we're about to sign off the air. Piper, for once, grabs the microphone, says something pretty succinct and with a lot of passion. He says, you know, you want to fight, you got to fight. November 24th, Norfolk, Virginia, I'll have a contract in my teeth, which is a great line, too. No surrender, no retreat. He says, hey, Baldy, you're mine now. As he uh, kisses, you know, kisses his hand and then <laughs> slaps his ass as we go off air. So an amazing segment one of the more memorable segments mm-hmm. probably we'll talk about absolute slam dunk timing was great. heat was great. Uh, and really a pivotal moment in wrestling, honestly, like, you know, like the heel owner, boss, etc. cetera, character was one that had really not been fleshed out very much at all yep. in wrestling history. Um, and, uh, I mean, we're still kind of seeing the effects good or bad from that now, you know, thirty you know, mm-hmm. almost thirty years later. Uh and this was it and Bischoff fits the role well. And um I mean, you know, is he a face really much ever again after this? Like he's No, not really. Like like in wrestling
0: history from here on out he's I, well toward deal. the end of WCW, doesn't he kinda of go back to being yeah. like yeah
1: they they do a lot of uh restarts but yeah as far as sustained this is this is pretty much it mm-hmm. for him for somebody that you know on and off has uh, an on-screen character for the next uh, 13 14 years or so really yep. up to the last tna run um so it's pretty amazing um and, uh, yeah, I, I thought this was great. I mean, I think this is one of the five or ten best things we've probably seen since we've done the podcast as far as the segment. Home run for me.
0: Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's always been one of my all-time favorites. I'll admit, I didn't realize this whole episode that this was—I thought it was after World War Three. So I was like, when Bischoff comes out at the end is when it hit me what it was. So— that's why I, in by a lot of my notes, I was kind of complaining about things being off and this and that. Like it didn't really hit me until the end that this was that one. So it worked on me. Like after it happened, I'm like, oh, all right, now it makes sense why Bischoff was kind of weird, and oh, and Nash are saying what they're saying, and I it just didn't resonate for some whatever reason. This was the one. Um, I thought everyone involved was great. Uh, you know, Piper rambling about El Clujay, this and that. And then cutting himself off and going, you're a liar was like really well done. It's like it almost like he caught himself losing the thread. Like he wanted to maybe set it up and ramble a bit and try and um, weave it into a story. And then he's like, screw it. I'll get right to the point. You're a liar. And um, the whole way he unravels it, it could have been so easy for Piper just to say, you're in the NWO. We all know like whatever. But the way he backs Bischoff into it, basically revealing it was like just really good stuff. He's like, what, what airline were you on? You know, okay, well, what seat were you in? And were you first class? And what's my road? And just all that was so, so good. And then the NWO are too smart to sit back and wait for it to play out. Like they know the jig is up. They know that it's out of the bag. They've kind of anticipated it all night that it could be coming because they maybe, this is another good thing with WCW, you know, it's great at too, right? Like they're not hammering it over your head. So, Obviously, the NWO got word that Piper likely knew and was on his way there to reveal it, right? Like, because they're talking about it all night. Bischoff is kind of weird all night. So I think it's hinted at without beating you in the head with it that and it doesn't matter if you didn't pick up on it. It doesn't matter. But if you did and you play it back, you're like, oh, okay, they must have known this was coming because they're almost prepared for it. And I like that they come out as soon as it's obvious they're out there. They're not going to wait for Piper to get the advantage in any way. They're pouncing on him. And taking their advantage as usual um I, I think this holds up wonderfully i think it's a really cool heel turn uh it's a lot of positives to it one it gives the nwo a, like an additional level of heat it also adds a lot of logistical clarity to why they are able to do what they do right run running roughshod gaining admittance into these shows getting on the format like all of that makes a lot more sense when you realize Bischoff is kind of sneaking them in So that works. It also gets Bischoff the hell out of the booth, most likely, which is great, Um, because I do think the only thing that could have made this segment even better would have been Tony on the call, uh, being like completely aggravated and like in shock. Like he's so good at that. So I think him and Bobby would have been better. And Tenei would have been better in this spot if he was with them. That's the only negative I would point out. Um, But I think it's great. It ties a lot of loose endings uh, together it was well done the way Piper exposes them again, instead of the usual turn, like Bischoff didn't just turn and attack them and help Hogan or something like Piper is the one who figured it out and revealed it. The crowd was all in as soon as they realized it, like you said. Um, and again, it explains why the NWO has been able to do what they've done. They have an inside man. It's an all time great angle. Um, it sets up the pay-per-view great. Cause now, you know, I complained about it earlier, right? We haven't had a lot of focus about the pay-per-view, but here we are. Uh, we're sold on it because now we know Hogan, Piper and Bischoff are all going to be there right for this contract signing. So there's a lot of intrigue suddenly into what's going to happen come pay per view time on Sunday. And I think the interesting thing to me, thing, t- interesting thing to me too, is that they played off like Bischoff is working for them. Whereas I feel like in the future, it's almost positioned maybe more, at least in my mind that Bischoff was like the mastermind behind it. Uh, but initially here it's like, no, that still was Hogan and Hall and Nash, and they convinced Bischoff to join them. And it wasn't him that initially brought them in. So we'll see how that, if that changes at all as we go along. But for right now, that's, that's the way it's positioned. So uh, awesome, awesome segment. One of the best, like you said, we've seen Piper has been great since he's been here. I'm really enjoying him in WCW. Like, I think this is the best Piper stuff we've had since God, i don't know how long like I, I don't know the when the last time piper's been this good maybe it might be 87 honestly um you know he was fine with the gold stuff but this consistently like coherent and engaged like it's been a while so i dug it all right let's go into our end of show awards all right Let's do it. Uh, match of the night, I had Guerrero and Benoit. Yep. Same. Moment, obviously, is uh, Piper exposing Bischoff. Yep. Uh, I gave Piper the MVP. I thought he was just brilliant in that segment. Yeah, I
1: think there's a lot of candidates actually tonight. Like, you mm-hmm. could get Tony, even though it was quick. You could, Paul. Uh, uh, Benoit and Guerrero both Nash. were great. Uh, yeah, I think you could do Hall, Nash, Hogan, Bischoff. Any of those four, actually, mm-hmm. too. But, uh, I I went Piper too. I mean I agree like you know I like like to me this struck me like I've always liked this angle but watching it again like this did strike me as like this is the coda of like peak Piper like when you watch him in the early 80s. Yep. Uh, up to 87 he you know has that magnetic run like this is
0: on par with that. So he's there. Yep. No I agree this is yeah, you know, I'm curious to see how it holds up through Stargate, right? So let's yeah. let's see how they march there, because they brought him in for us to sell that show and have the match of the century and all this other stuff. So right. let's see if it holds up. Uh, commentary line, I just had the one. Uh, Even I, as psychologically brilliant as I am, cannot figure out Sting's mind. That was Larry. <laughs> That's a pretty good line. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no shots fired with the distracted Bischoff all no. night. No, yeah, no. Uh, Laparca, I think, was the only debut. Mm-hmm. Road Report is Norfolk, Virginia, and final grade. uh, You know, I was a little down on some of the matches, like a little bit lower than you on a bunch of them. But the Piper thing carries a lot of weight. All of the NWO segments, the storytelling, were on point. They did a good job turning around what's been kind of an ignored pay per view to a hard sell at the end. So one, definitely one of the higher end uh, TV episodes we've seen. I went seven and a half out of ten.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's some inconsequential matches, but. When I sit back and think of the show as a whole, and think about like the angles uh, mm-hmm. between the Sting and all the stuff with Bischoff, uh, and even the Dallas Page and the Flair Jarrett interview was interesting. I, I went eight. I, I thought it was a great show, and you had two good matches too. So there was some good in-ring stuff, and then just some absolute classic angle stuff too. So I, I thought it was a great Nitro
0: all right let's get to our combo awards uh nitro clearly was the best show yeah. best match though um i, I guess I, I think we're kind of tied right on the best mm-hmm. ones I, I think i'd go austin mankind um i just think it meant more uh for the promotion it was more of like the style change coming off the pay-per-view uh, the energy behind it, like Benoit are always great. <laughs> like it's, it's, it hurts to like not give it to them, but like it to me, that was like they're off the shelf match. You know what I mean? Whereas Austin Mankind felt like more of a tone changer. Yep,
1: I'm following
0: that. Best segment, obviously Piper exposing Bischoff. Uh, yeah. Nitro better commentary. Yeah, I thought the great. commentary was great. Um, we'll go Piper star of the night. Yep. Okay, Nitro ratings, obviously. Yeah,
1: the ratings, though, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, maybe the, uh, it's an interesting thing because, like, you would think the night after Survivor Series, Raw might do well, but they ended up actually dropped a little bit from the previous week. Right. Uh, They went from 2.5 to 2.4. But Nitro actually didn't have that high of a rating either. I think that kind of shows, like, as of now, the, the lead into four War Three. I, I don't know. I mean, it still had a 3.2. But the week before, they were 3.7. So, um, it's a little bit of a drop. Mm-hmm. We get into that where from now till um, the night after Starcade, they don't... They're not above three point five, right. so they're they're in a little bit of a lull. Uh, you know, again, could be night yeah. yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on, so it's, it's not significant, but you know, it is kind of funny that this is probably one of the hottest things that's happened mm-hmm. on night You know, the rating kind of was a little bit lower It's also
0: the night after Survivor Series, I, mean, I don't know if that affected it at all. But <laughs> maybe, but it just seems like overall
1: yeah. less people. Everything up, was right? down. Yeah. Yeah, I should have seen what the Monday night's football game was.
0: I was going to look it up right now, quick.
1: Um, let's see.
0: Oh, 11, 18, Packers, Cowboys. So, I mean, that's a big oh, one. There you go. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, well, so that probably did not help. No. All right, so that does it. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks. We'll be talking World War III, 1996. So, obviously, now a lot of interest going in there uh, with the contract signing and everything else, plus the Battle Royal. Rest of the card is kind of whatever. I think at this point. I mean, I think they're selling it just on the premise of the Battle Royal and the Hogan Piper stuff. So, uh, but we'll see how everything else plays out. Be uh, sure to check out everything we have to offer at the North South Connection podcast content coming at you every single day across the spectrum of pro wrestling and beyond. Stuff we're super proud of. Chad, uh, we're entering our fourth year soon, so uh, a lot of uh, crazy. We're already that for a long, but it's been uh, been a great run so far. So, with that said. Smell the APOM, we talk to you two
3: weeks. evil deeds before I get them done. I know tomorrow brings the consequence at hand. But I keep living this day like the next will never come. Oh, help me, but don't tell me to deny it. i got to cleanse myself of all.